Okay, so Smoke and Snow Old School Essentials. We've got a new player, Dave, joining us this session, playing a character, a thief known as Quentin, who we've worked out a little bit of backstory with the rest of the players, and he's basically a member of their village who was previously sent with the merchant Hercules Buchanan when he travelled back across the sea to Rowaline to pick up his merchantile goods, which he then bought back and started up a little trading company. Quintain, having, to use game terms, levelled up and got a bit more experience during the journey, has decided he's not really cut out for the sort of plain, boring life of a villager now. So the only adventurers he really knows are the player characters, so he's set out looking for them. And we're picking up where we find Quentin in a rather unfortunate spot. So, Quentin, you lie in the snow... The people you are travelling with have been slaughtered by the shambling undead monks that set upon you seemingly from nowhere. They fought hard but were overpowered. Their blood now stains the previously pristine white snow. Their bodies lie all around you. You're near death, lying on a snowbank, your own blood staining the white. Clutching in your still-working hand, your silver dagger one of the few weapons that seem to deter and actually harm these creatures. The leader of the undead monks, a huge sort of looming presence, wearing a, row, a tattered robe with flames embroidered on it, walks towards you. He mocks you and calls you unworthy as he lifts up a large sword, stepping in ready to finish you off. However, just as he's about to do so, a loud, cruel voice rings out across the otherwise desolate snow. And the voice says, Stop, Campbell. I need one of them alive to send my message. And at this point, I'm going to let all the other player characters know that at this point, Weimar, which for reasons which will become clear, is actually seeing this in a vision so all of this unfolding you guys will know about it you're about a day's travel away from this and like i say you're not actually in the area but why more through his vision will have seen this it'll become clear why later but so you will be aware of all this a tall figure strides across the snow clad in plate armor he has a long white hair and he carries a midnight black blade in one mailed fist. He looks down at you as he looms over you. He's a very tall, imposing figure, Quentin. And he says, The true lord of Valconan is rising. Akbeet stirs in his resting place and has gifted me the night blade to prepare for his coming. Then he actually crouches down almost in a friendly manner. He crouches down next to you, but still keeping a healthy distance between you, obviously wary of your silver dagger. And in a slightly softer voice, he says, I know the people you seek. I once travelled with them myself. The next time you see my old friends, tell them that they can either swear allegiance to the mirror, or they will be swept aside and crushed. 
and at which point he he leans forward and clasps a hand sort of over your face, Quentin, and you feel your body being revitalized, but it doesn't feel like a healthy sort of energetic rush of energy. It feels cold as it seeps into your body. And as you pass out from the strain and the pressure of what's going on, you hear the dead bodies, perhaps, of your fellows stirring in the snow around you. And then everything goes dark. We smash cut to a day later. Obviously, why might you have had this vision of this happening? You've all travelled to this area. You've been looking around for this person that you've seen in the vision. And you're not sure, Weimar, but you think you recognise the, the person holding the, the Midnight Black Blade. You recognise it as Oscorus, the, the brawler who accompanied you for a brief time and was a part of your village before he disappeared into the wilderness as played by Ian White in the first two sessions. You've been scouting around for a while. You've almost given up on looking for this person when you hear Bullseye, your ice walker retainer, shout, Over here! I found something! There's someone alive! And as he shouts that, Quentin, you start to stir... You look and you can see that although you've still got scars from your wounds, the actual like physical injuries appear to have been healed. Now, you've effectively been healed by a power of evil and cold. You are healed. There's no like curse or any sort of bad mojo like that. However, you've you've been healed by dark powers, let's say, connected with elemental cold. So I would like you now to pick maybe a physical sort of appearance alteration or something that would tell that you have been healed by unnatural forces what would you like it to be i'm going to say a, a bluish tinge to the scars okay to represent the cold no problems yeah so when you look down at your body as you as you see this this tall sort of viking looking man with like big fur pauldrons so like close cropped hair with like a sort of ponytail down the back and he's turning to someone you can't see saying I found someone who's alive you sort of look down and you see these like light blue lines where the scars of battle mark you and as you sort of slowly look around recovering your senses fairly quickly you see the splatters of blood on the snow where once your fellows lay but of their bodies and of the undead that beset you there is no sign and then it's over to you guys. I'll start shaking the snow off. Yeah, no problems. You you pull yourself to your feet. Quentin, obviously, the rest of you guys, as we discussed at the start, recognise Quentin. You know him from previously. You gave him the mission to go with Hercules Buchanan, so you know who he is. You see him stand up. You may note these... These sort of light blue, almost ice blue scars, some on his face, some on his torso, obviously there's rips in his clothing, but otherwise he looks in fairly good health. He looks a little bit disorientated as he's standing up and like shrugging snow off himself, 
but he's he's obviously qu very quickly recovering his wits. Is that something that um, we've come across before? This sort of healing of wounds, any sort of not so not, not so much really. the healing of wounds. However, Brock, as you're looking around, you can obviously see this scene: the the snowbanks, etc., stained with blood, although there are no bodies. And for a few moments, it takes you back to that time when you were very young, when your home village was attacked and your own mother was slain. And just briefly, you almost have like a little flashback where you like you hear some of the faint screams, but they're only in your memory. And you remember how the rival clan that attacked your village, they, they sort of took everyone by surprise, lurking beneath snowbanks, and then bursting out and taking everyone unaware. And as you think about this, and you look around, you indeed note that in a couple of places, there appears to be slight movement in the snow, but no one else appears to have noticed it, only you. You've got a few seconds to react, what do you do? Um, so I don't know, who, who is that nearest? Which of the uh, retainers? That's Bjorn, is there. Bjorn. Um, I'll shout out to him. Be careful, there's movement in the snow. It's witchcraft. And I start to run towards it. Okay, yep. You can take a move, that's absolutely fine. And as you as you start sort of moving forward to try and back up Bjorn, running between Bullseye and Malcolm Harp, you see two of the snowbanks sort of burst upwards and two ragged, pale, cadaverous-looking creatures, gangly with thin sort of whipcord muscle and long, bright red protruding tongues that lick the air feverishly, sort of burst out. You see the one that lunges towards beyond. You catch sight of its fingers in the, the light of the cool day, and you see they are curved into wickedly sharp, almost bone-like claws. Now, since since Quentin has been getting up, you won't get to act this round, Quentin. The only people who are going to get to act on this surprise round are Brock and Bjorn. Normally, if you hadn't seen that Brock, these two creatures would have got a free round. However, you've worn Bjorn, you're running forward... So you've taken your you've taken your move action, but you can still do what an attack. I'm just going to launch my spear at it. Yep, go for it. I'm running towards them. Make an attack roll. Uh, that nearest one, obviously. Oof! Not good. Okay, so you throw your spear. However, you're not able to fully launch it at the creature because obviously beyonds in the way so you have to get like a little bit wide unfortunately with them both sort of moving and it throwing himself at him your spear goes wide and like thunk, into the ground just to the the right hand side of where beyond's standing yep okay now why might you're in control of beyond he's one of your retainers what yep. would you like him to do as this this cadaverish winter white sort of Horrible corpse-like clawed creature is lunging towards him, its tongue lashing at the air. Bjorn is going to whip out the shield mm -hmm. and um, 
probably take a swipe and then step backwards. So we'll make a swipe with the hand axe. That's a no. Okay, yep, so Bjorn, although he's been warned, which has given him time to get his shield out and his axe ready, is obviously unprepared for this thing bursting out of the snow like right in his face. So he sort of goes over backwards with this thing clawing at his shield. So, And he steps backwards, sort of being cognizant of the fact that Brock isn't doing so well. Yep, so, so standing in the way. So almost like, I, I, I'm not saying he's, he's going to bang in lieu of actually hitting... <laughs> He's gonna start banging on the shield uh, with the with the axe, sort of like, "Come and get me!" And come and get him, it does, as it lunges towards him, flailing with its claws. I didn't mean it. <laughs> you don't okay. Need to get him. He, he takes one point of damage, and he needs to make a save versus paralysis. Okay. Here we go. Paralysis. That's a failure. Okay, so roll me 2d4. That's eight. Okay, so as you see, like Bjorn Foot is like, come and get me, and he like reels over backwards. This thing with one swipe of a bony claw sort of bats his shield aside and then rakes its other claw down his face. And as he sort of turns around, the blood flying off the wound to his face, you see almost like his joints lock up and he's got this look of surprise etched on his frozen face as he becomes immobile. And we'll do the other one. Attacking Hannibal Purdy. Negatory. No, so d despite being taken by surprise, Hannibal Purdy, perhaps having seen Bjorn and what befell him, is double quick with the shield as this thing lunges forward with its claws. Purdy gets the shield in the way and isn't hit by it. Okay, so it's over to the players. I'm just going to go through you in like alphabetical order. Obviously, retainers, hopefully you all know who you're in charge of. So if you don't, just ask or I'll mention it. So we've got Abiel Moffat, who is Brock's retainer up here. Yep. Um, he's going to move down and assist his, his, uh, his mate there. Um, just get his shit up. And he's going to hack into it with his hand axe. Or try to, anyway. That's... Good grief. It's a good start to the day. Indeed. So, unfortunately, the uh, your retainer doesn't manage to uh, land a hit on it. As dice flow like crazy over my... Uh, delayed response on my uh, my other screen it looks like the dice apocalypse has landed early okay so we go on to we would go on to beyond but he would be paralyzed so that's one round he's taken paralyzed brock um yeah obviously in my weakened state 
I don't really want to get toe to toe with it, so I'm going to try and pull this guy back in his sort of paralyzed state, so yeah. this creature can't sort of just finish him off without any. Defense. I'll say you can do half if you're doing that. You can do half your move, and then obviously you can just move beyond so he's adjacent to you. Okay, I'll just, I'll just go straight back. I just sort of. Oh, I don't think I can move him, but if you That's could just fine, I'll move him for you. Not a problem. Adjust him up. That's it. No problems. So Brock, this tall like man mountain of a barbarian charges in grabbing beyond the the immobilized retainer by like the scruff of his clothes and hauling him back out of range of this creature okay we're going to bullseye uh well bullseye is gonna <clears throat> quickly uh look to quentin and say like get behind me and uh is gonna fire off a. Uh... Short bow shot at this one. Nice. Let's see if he lives up to his name. Come on. Bullseye. Ooh, yes. Nice. Hopefully. Okay, so describe in what suitably, no doubt, gruesome fashion, Bullseye takes out this ghoulish creature. I want to say it's because uh, it's entirely about to do what Brock sort of thought it might because that's clearly how these things hunt they paralyze and then they just devour or slash up the thing it's a fair so, assumption so it was going in for the like no like <laughs> you're taking my prize away and it's like lunging after uh bjarn and just like lunging forward and then just gets an arrow in the eye and just like burrs itself in the snow as it like lunges forward and dies indeed that's what happens and it falls in the snow although you notice that like not really as much blood leaks out of it as you would expect from where the arrows hit it but it after a bit of, sort of spasmodic twitching it eventually stops moving okay so we're going to hannibal purdy which is another one of yours i believe Wamo. that is very true so hannibal is uh, already in in the of it so axe to the face hopefully it is uh, that, pff, not with that roll no so Hannibal's flailing at it with his axe but obviously he's also trying to keep his shield up to avoid getting paralysed like beyond it so he's not able to land a telling blow on it Malcolm um can I reach this guy? Or like, are we counting squares, or are we jumping between zones? Yeah, you can reach him. It's fun. Yeah, okay, so I'll just swing over here and give him a taste of his own medicine. Do you also have paralyzing claws now, or or not? <clears throat> I, I pat him gently on the fur. To, to, to be honest, you actually get within like a hair's breadth of injuring this thing, and at the last moment, as your your weapon, your your sword, your magical blade whistles towards it. At the very last moment, it like drops down onto all fours, snarling, and your sword sails through the air that it once occupied. Okay, Quentin, it's over to you. I was told to get behind somebody, so. Uh... Yeah, yeah, so... Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, so so Quentin runs around, takes a position behind Weimar, whose go it is now, coincidentally. 
Yeah. Um, uh, is going to give uh, Quentin a quick squeeze of the, the shoulder and just says, just stay alive. <laughs> and, uh, well, it's, it's odd as you say that because as you look at him, you know, just, although he's got these strange sort of like almost like ice colored scars all over him, in terms of like blood and like the state he looks, he actually looks pretty healthy. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is no doubt going to be a thing to investigate further. But we're quite far away. Uh, can I shoot this? Without yeah, oh, yeah. Risking, However, you, know. you would risk hitting other people because yeah, they're in yeah. combat with it. There's three yeah, people so... in combat. <clears throat> Instead, because um, I can't get there because I'm, I would have to go quite the way, and uh, I have a uh, peg leg. So yeah, I'll I'll swing out my own shield and draw out the sun sword. So for Quentin's reference, <laughs> I draw out the the long sword uh, at my hip, and it, it bursts into uh, quite the the glorious uh, sunlight fire. <laughs> Indeed, as, as he pulls out this large sword, the blade is wreathed in fire and it seems to shed sort of bright sunlight from it like you might see on a summer's day. And I'll, I'll sort of be... Basically, what uh, Weimar would be doing is like, hold action, someone gets near, you know, Quentin and Weimar, he's going to get in there, but, you know. Yeah, no problems. Okay, so... We go on to the monsters go. I'm just going to make a roll to see randomly who it attacks. Okay, so it's going for Hannibal Purdy. Okay, so it claws at Hannibal Purdy, but is unable to get through his armour. Okay, so back to Abel Moffat. Um, well, he's going to... Now he's got a few guys with him. He's going to push on and uh, have another hack at it with his hand axe. Oh, he's definitely up for it now. <sighs> However, as you, as I'm sure you're aware, because it's got like a red ring around it, this is effectively a minion creature. They only have minimal hit points, so that is enough to kill it. And I think with a with a roll of twenty one, I think we're in for some suitably cinematic slaying of this creature here in a dramatic fashion. So, what form would you like said slaying to take? Well, the with the the new um, well, Malcolm joining joining the fight is obviously distracted, um, which allows him to bring down his hand axe square in the middle of its head and it's just sort of just basically uh cuts into his head straight into the brain and it it just falls flat on all fours and indeed that's what happens abel steams in with his axe almost like slices the thing's face in two vertically it takes a halting step forward as though it's happened so quickly it doesn't even realize that it's dead and then it pitches forward, lying in the snow, sort of grey matter, and a little bit of blood dribbling out of its crushed skull. You all look around, weapons tensed, in case any further assailants should burst forth from the snow. But after a few minutes pass, nothing further appears to menace you. You're all able to catch your breath. 
for a few moments. As I'll go uh, Weimart, that is, is going to go check on Bjorn when things don't, you know, jump up all the time. Yeah, so basically, after a couple of minutes, Bjorn starts moving again. He is, he looks a little bit bewildered at first, but he's obviously aware of what has happened. He's not like, oh, where am I or anything like that. He, he's obviously seen what's going on. He's got some minor injuries, but other than that, he seems okay. Just a little bit shook up by the whole experience. And obviously he's got like the claw mark down one side of his face. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's over to you guys. What do you want to do? Uh, well, Brock is a, is a bit traumatised by the whole sort of flashbacks to his past. Indeed. So he's going to sort of scout around the perimeter looking for tracks and stuff and just taking a bit of a time out to himself. Okay. Uh, he don't want to show any emotion. I understand. So as you are, look around Brock, and obviously I'm not going to move your token, but you're wandering around the sort of perimeter yep. and whatever. As you move past where the the blood splatters are, where you've you've fought and killed people before, you can see that like people have died here due to the amount of blood that's staining the snow. And as, although a little bit of snow has been falling in the sort of intervening day between where Weimar had his vision and you arriving here, you can see there are there are sort of tracks in the snow like leading away from these in various different directions from these blood splatters as though whoever once lay here had risen and walked off but there's a curious sort of dragging motion to the the sort of uh, the tracks as though they were sort of lurching and dragging their feet as they moved and they're, they're in various directions you said yeah exactly. they appear to have just sort of scattered right but they don't seem to sort of then later sort of come back together or not as far no. as you can tell now Okay. Not without exploring like a wider area. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, you've only yeah, just yeah. sort of scouted the immediate area. Yep. Okay. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll just have a bit of time taking to uh, investigate and then I'll head back and explain my findings. Okay, so all that's going to obviously take a few minutes of uh, Brock scouting around. So, whilst he's doing that, what are the rest of you guys doing? I'm just trying to make sense of it at the minute. Yeah. Now, obviously, just to, I'm sure you've worked this out already, and we've discussed this, but obviously just to fill you in, you were one of the original settlers who came over here and you founded the small village that the player characters originally came from, a village called New Sealand. At a certain point in time, like many months ago, they made the acquaintance of a trader called Hercules Buchanan, who they they rescued from being attacked and all of his trade goods had been like wrecked and he was pretty much like oh now this now this new old continent has opened up again i want to be in on the ground and be like one of the first traders so like when it really takes off i'm going to be like flying high and i want to set up trade routes and a trade post and all of that and the heroes managed to persuade him due in no small part to the fact they'd saved his life they're like oh how about you set your uh City trade place up next to our like village where we're going to fortify it and the trade would help our village you get some protection there'd be all the services in the villages and he was like yeah great now obviously he had to go back to Rohaline, your home continent to pick up all of his trade goods because what he the small amount he bought with him had been trashed 
And when he went back, the heroes sent a number of people back with him just to help see him safely on the journey and back there, etc. And you were one of those people. Now, during the, the trip there and the trip back, there were many and various adventures, which perhaps we'll go into later, but for the moment, we'll just say there were many and various adventures, which allowed you to accumulate uh, a certain amount of expertise in the, the, the larcenous pursuit, shall we say, to be to be diplomatic. And by the time you got back, you were, you were like, oh, I don't really fancy settling down and being like a, a poor dirt farmer again. You know, like, I've got these skills under my belt now. Maybe I could like make something better on myself. But the only people you knew who'd done that were the heroes who stand around you now. So you set off in pursuit of them because the rest of the villagers were like, oh yeah, they they went to go and do some adventuring. We're not really sure where. So you've basically been trying to find these guys and you sort of ran into this situation where you got attacked by these strange like undead monks. And that's where we sort of came in. So that's the very rough sort of capsule description of what's happened to you before this point. But you know these people, these are the heroes that you were seeking. Although some of these people, like uh, like this person, Bjorn, Bullseye, and these two over here, you don't know, you've not seen them before, you're not sure who they are. But, but Weimar, probably Brock, and Malcolm Harp, they're like the heroes you were looking for to like try and join up with, basically. So, uh, why more? I've uh, encountered somebody that claims to be an old acquaintance of yours. Now, John, um, what was the context for the vision? Okay, so what happened was you guys were so you were going to be traveling through this area anyway, because you're, you're traveling towards where you think Lang is. And as you were traveling, you sort of you started feeling like a a, a buildup of heat in the Sun Sword, not painful, not damaging, but it just started getting noticeably warmer. And of course, you were like, oh, "I wonder what's going on with that." So, as most of us would do. You drew the sword to have a look at it, see what's going on. And as you drew the sword and you stared at the blade, it was as though you, your sort of consciousness like fell into your reflection in the blade. And for a few moments, you could see the scene unfolding with these undead monks and this this figure that you recognise from your past, so making this pronouncement to the the fallen Quentin. And then as it passed, you sort of snapped back to yourself and you were still just like staring at the blade of your sword. Which, after the vision, sort of cooled again down to its normal temperature. Yes, Quentin, I... Uh, it's a bit difficult to explain, but I, I saw it happen. I have no idea what this is about. It's been a very long time. He said, uh, if you do not swear loyalty to the mirror, you'll be swept aside. I'll uh, nod to Malcolm. Let them try and sweep us aside, so... The, um, 
this this is terminology that we know from before or yes so the smoking mirror is one of the pantheon it is the yes. evil that sleeps beneath the ice um and this Akbeat we've spoken of is also he was the master of dominion who we bested on the witch oil Takrit. Um, so, so yes, these are names. These names are familiar to me. And we know that Akbit is further north. Is is that not so? Yeah. Previously, previously, you'd heard very sort of like general information that he he lurked somewhere to the north, but you don't really know any specifics. Yeah. yeah this was from um, Takrit. That's so, correct. Yeah. Like wherever we had Takrit on the map north from there but yeah. that's, well that's well when you faced Takrit, it was obviously on the witch isle yeah. and you saw when he did the whole thing where he was like oh master save me from this and the sort of shadowy like projection appeared and was like no you are weak and unworthy to serve me bad times for you and then just like abandoned him yeah. and obviously you guys and the frost dwarves killed him but you, you've heard from Takrid, the evil warlock that you defeated and killed, that his master's somewhere to the north of the Witch Isle, but you don't know distances or exact locations. Yeah. Right, yes, so... Um, um, appears that there's a new champion sort of moving about unfortunately it's uh as an old acquaintance and well at the very least know where knows where uh new zealand is personally uh because he came from there with us i don't quite know what we can do about this right now we should go back to new zealand though i guess first off yeah let us warn Captain Nickel and his right. kin to um, have their wits about them. It's a, it's a shame to turn back now, but I, I suppose, well, you found us, and also, well, it wasn't all for naught. We now have this knowledge, even though it was bought with, well, lives, I suppose. Uh, I'll, I'll point to the bloodstains on the snow. Oddly, I think they may have walked off. And that's very concerning because we we know that there was a a place that attracted the dead, made them walk after they perished. These ones went to the four winds. And as Weimar is saying that, Quentin, you think back to how the the sort of undead inquisitor with the the flame robe was literally coming in raising his sword ready to finish you off and when the voice told him to stop it wasn't as though he was like okay i'll stop it was though like the voice literally like forced him to stop like he just like he was swinging the sword down to finish you and as his voice was like stop he was like "Mm," as though he was like frozen in place i think this old acquaintance of yours may have a lot of power And as Quentin's saying that, Brock, you come walking back into the group, having done your scouting around, and you hear 
the last bit of that conversation with Quentin saying, I think bizarre as it sounds, these people might have who had died might have walked away. And I'll see you come back in and you can tell them whatever you see fit to tell them that you found out from your scouting. Yeah. I confirm that your suspicions are correct. There seems to be shambling or whatever in various directions heading away from these bloodstains in the snow. Um, I'm just curious, these, these priests that were with this old acquaintance, is that someone you've come across before? Me? No. However, to you, Weimar, because you actually saw this, they looked very familiar. They looked like people you met before in the village of Deerson. And let's just say you didn't have a friendly resolution to that encounter. In fact, you're pretty sure that you killed them all. It was as a group. It was a bit confrontational. <laughs> That's what I feared. <laughs> it was um and the guy, the the powerful one, was he potentially the lead <clears throat> the leader of that group? Now obviously why am I you you recognize the person wielding the black blade, but you know that like all of that was longer before you met up with Brock, so he'd have no idea who Oscorus was. Well, I'll, I'll explain. So, uh, Oscorus Eurocorus was a uh, uh, sort of strong man we started out from New Zealand with. And uh, uh, we, we lost him, not as in he died, but we physically lost him. <laughs> and. Uh, And that's about it. That no, no really doubt he was following directions from Malcolm. I should imagine. Well, as you as you guys, he actually wasn't. No, I was going to say actually wasn't. As you guys are sort of chatting about this and you're sort of catching each other up, you know that the before they met you, Weimar and uh, Malcolm sort of adventured with Oscorus, and he was he was always a bit of a bit of a loner, you know, prone to like going off on his own for like long periods. He was quite, quite reserved. He, he didn't really talk much about himself. So when he like disappeared for a little bit, they were like, oh, he's just gone off on his own again. You know, it's not unusual behavior. And then when he didn't turn up, th they tried to look around for him, but they couldn't find any sign of him. So there wasn't really much they could do because they didn't know where he'd gone. They couldn't very well start exploring the entire continent looking for him. They assumed that, like, at some point he'd probably turn up back at the village, which is what he'd done previously, but he never did. So someone else has got into his head, taking control of him. Yes, and whatever power this... Something can clearly reach Deersund and work this evil on the corpses that we left there. As you're saying this, Weimar, you and only you in your head, you hear the voice of the Sun Sword sounding strangely subdued, not its normal bombastic self, says, it, It's the, the Nightblade. Uh, and I'll 
I'll think at the sword. Uh, <laughs> the Nightblade is raising the dead. At which point the sword responds, and as per its previous methodology, when it speaks, it speaks through the mouth of Weimar, so the rest of you guys can hear what the sword and I will be saying, but it's a different voice coming out of Weimar's mouth. And the sword says, Yes, uh, I am one of three great swords that were forged. The Night Blade is one of the others. As I am forged of the, the essence of law and of the day and of the sun, the Night Blade is forged of darkness and the roiling essence of chaos. And when it says chaos, there's like a note of disgust creeps into its voice. And I, I'll switch to actually saying so that everyone else can hear the full conversation. Yeah. So I'll 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 just say in in Weimar's uh, usual voice. Does the Nightblade work its own will, or is this something to do with the mirror? Does the Nightblade serve the mirror, or is the mirror acting through the Nightblade? Brother. Rather like, and obviously, again, you guys can all hear this. It's just a different voice coming out of Weimar. The, the like myself, the the Night Blade has its own intelligence, and although I choose not to, it could certainly seize control of a a weak-willed person. It, much as I attempt to serve the goals of law and of light. It seeks to serve the goals of chaos and of darkness. And if Akbeat and his minions serve the smoking mirror, who is the embodiment of chaos in this world, it would certainly follow that the, the Nightblade may make an alliance with them. What? Yeah, Quentin looks entirely bewildered. Is that, is that, say what now? <laughs> um, uh, what does your sword know of the third sword? Um, pray tell. There's a third one. Yes, the the green steel. Is it? Is do we know where this is? The the green steel vanished some time ago. There was there was once a. A great forest far to the west of here that disappeared over the course of a single night. The the green steel, I believe, was in that forest when it disappeared, and I have not seen it since. It was forged of this world of neutrality and seeks to preserve the balance. At any rate, that sounds like a formidable ally against whatever... Akbit and the the rest are working towards. And conveniently, we know where the forest is. What? So, um, Quentin, there's been some developments, <laughs> say the least. Um, we have discovered 
uh, Malcolm is much better with this. Um, there's, uh, let's say, a group of gods, um, very old ones, uh, much older than Leander, the the healer, uh, which we know from home, and um, we are. Um, Seems that we are quite embroiled in a struggle here. Um, the one that we keep referring to as the mirror is one of these. And we think there's the mirror and some others, perhaps, of similar intention, if not necessarily power, uh, buried underneath all the frost and the ice covering the continent. Uh, which we think maybe this all was created, put into action, whatever it is. All this happened perhaps because they wanted to entomb said mirror and uh, others. And uh, yeah, so... Uh, there's quite a lot to it. We don't really have the time here. We'll we'll sit you down with the sage in New Zealand, quite knowledgeable, uh, and um, we can uh, read you the whole story. Uh, but that's sort of the cliff notes. We're looking to um, well do many a thing, but um, it's sort of been implied, uh, I suppose, that we would prefer that not to happen. That the um, <laughs> the mirror and its uh, fellow uh, creatures uh, gain free reign once more. So we've been uh, bumping into this, this what you woke up with, this is new and uh, quite troubling, I would say. Uh, but we've been bumping into this history while trying to find some valuable ore, uh, some allies and perhaps some hunting grounds we stumble on all this and uh, it's become quite the thing, <laughs> I would say. Um, okay. And I know that also, that sounds like a cart full of horseshit. Um, <laughs> but we'll figure it out. <laughs> so I will we'll get the sage to explain it to you. Yeah. Right. So where to? I think New Zealand. East to Lang, and then down to New Zealand. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lang and then Zealand. Okay. Well, feel free to to move your shield on the the main map. You want to move it a day at a time, or just move it all the way? Just move it all the way. You'll be traveling it. The standard like 24 miles so it'll take you like roughly three days awesome uh can we are we healing naturally again yep you will have all recovered was it d3 per day isn't it yeah so anyone who is down hit points can have recovered three d3 hit points
Uh, I don't suppose our ring is back working, is it? It does not appear to be now. made some random encounter rolls as you guys travel for three days to the southeast the first day you're moving through the the vilken woods this thick coniferous forest which eventually starts thinning out as the ground rises into hills and mountains that you're forced to thread your way between on the third day you reach clear plains with a river running across them, so sort of like hairish, and you travel across them into first small hills, and then you reach the Leng Plateau, which is this tall ice cliff, effectively, ice and rock cliff, that rises far up above you. And from what you've been told, the village of these mystical Leng people lies atop this plateau. Is there a means to climb it? Is there like a path or is it like sheer? As you, as you look around, you can. it takes you a little bit of time, but as you investigate around, eventually, thanks to Brock and yourself, Malcolm being quite skilled in the wilderness, you eventually do locate what appears to be a a small sort of i suppose like goat path that like leads winds up this seemingly permanently wind swept plateau however it's very narrow barely wide enough for like one person to sort of like walk along if they like hug the the side of the plateau and as i say there appears to be permanent winds whipping around this tall, imposing cliff face. It looks extremely dangerous, but it seems to be the only path that you can see leading up to the top of the Leng Plateau. How far is this sort of walk, stroke, climb? It's, you think it's going to take at least an hour or two? If you're moving at like safe speed, you could probably do it quicker. But as like an ice walker, Brock, you're looking at it and you're like, I wouldn't fancy our chances if we try running up it. No, definitely not. Well, I have a rope that we can use to tie ourselves together. So that. You want me to go first? Well, I think precaution of. Yes, somehow. Connecting our, you know, each other. So should one slip or fall, then the other three can hopefully take the weight. Have yeah. you have you got enough rope to to bind yourselves together? I have fifty feet anyway, which I've got fifty feet. Yeah. Yeah. So b between those couple of lengths, you've probably got enough to. To like bind you, most of you together. Obviously, that does have the downside that if someone does fall, 
potentially they could take the people they roped with with them yeah there is quite a number of us though so hopefully yeah it's in your sort of seasoned opinion it's brock it's certainly safer to, to tie you all together because if one person falls you've got like six other people's combined strength like holding them on and to like haul them back onto the path so it's definitely safer should we all go or should we leave the well, that was the next question should we leave a party at the bottom too because we've got the car haven't we yeah and the food and the yeah can... there's literally no way you're getting the car to there I can stay with the cart. I'm probably the least um, readily eligible climbing master. Why are we going up there anyway? The <clears throat> the Lang have an elder, and we believe that uh, they pass their legends down from person to person, and their memories down from person to person. And we believe that they have memories of uh, this land before the Great Ice came, and that they will know much of the mirror, um, the swords, at feet, um, and many other tidbits of information that we believe will be valuable to us in our fight against the mirror and those who follow him. Okay. Do you want me to go up there? Yeah, let's you, I, and Brock go. Weimar and uh, <clears throat> the mercenaries can guard our... I, I, our I would suggest, just, just so, like, Johannes isn't entirely left out of it, that perhaps maybe you take, like, Bullseye up with you, and we have Johannes play Bullseye while you're doing this, just so he's not sat out of the entire scene. I I yeah I recommend four rather than three just because of the the weight. If if someone like myself was to slip, I'd be fearful that the others wouldn't be able to hold the weight. Okay. So Malcolm, Quinton, Brock, and Bullseye. Okay, that's yeah, cool. Yeah. So obviously we'll have you play Bullseye for this scene. Yeah, Johannes. So, also to um, uh, remind everyone, and for Quentin's knowledge as well, Bullseye is uh, one of the locals, much like Brock, um, Ice Walker tribes folk, and um, because we've been adventuring with these people uh, a bit, we got some actual levels for them. So, uh, Brock is indeed, uh, oh, sorry, not Brock, well, Brock as well, but um, Bullseye is a uh, barbarian. And he's kind of the leader of the retainers, isn't he? Absolutely. Yeah, he's sort of um, the informal, you know, elder, I guess, uh, of the Yeah, the he, he's have. a slightly more senior sort of man than the others, although he's still quite like Bilks. He's an ice walker barbarian. And as you've been travelling for a few days here, you'll have heard the story, Quentin, that apparently like the other re retainers that all been sort of banded together, they gave like Bullseye that name. Obviously, it's not his real name they gave him that name because he was attacked by like a large bear and he just like very calmly like drew his bow and waited till it was like literally on top of him and then killed it with one shot from his arrow
Uh, okay. So you guys are going to attempt to climb this perilous path. So, Quentin, can you please make me a dex roll? <laughs> yep. So, with Quentin leading you, he seems extremely dexterous. And just to point out, because you're a rogue, Quentin, if you'd have failed that, you, you would have got an extra roll on your climb yeah, show yeah. surfaces as well, which normal people wouldn't get. So, with Quentin leading you, he seems very dexterous, very sure-footed, although he's very careful as you're moving up this narrow pass. Him leading the rest of you sort of roped together. You've got Quentin, then you've got uh, Brock, then you have Malcolm, then you have Bullseye, so you've got like one of the sort of larger members of your group next to some of the slightly smaller members of your group, just to like space them out a little bit. You start winding your way up this torturous pass. Anyone else who's climbing, can you roll me a d12? And you're only in trouble if you get a 1. Thanks to Quentin pretty much getting the best roll you can get. d12. Okay, so we just need a roll from Johannes for Bullseye. And Barbarians have also got climb sheer surfaces, yep. John, but I don't think it matters for this, but... So, for climb sheer surfaces, sorry I'm not up on that. No, um, no can you just roll me a d12? Okay, d12. No, I just, I just, yeah. just in case, I didn't, I didn't know yeah. if it would give him a slight advantage if there was a problem. Six. But basically, he'd get to roll that if he failed this roll. Yeah, that's right. cool. Okay. Okay, so yeah, thanks mainly to Quentin sort of picking out a good route for you to take, and you and he pretty much says to you guys, you know, like step where I step, following my footsteps. After a couple of hours, you reach the top of this wind-swept plateau, and as you look across this desolate sort of icy, rocky area. You can see what appears to be a small village, perhaps, or encampment, where there's animal hides, wigwams, I suppose you might call them. There's some herd animals, goats, etc., knocking about. You can hear them braying. And here and there, you spot these small people, sort of three to four foot tall, but sort of quite muscular as far as they go. And they all any hair they have on their face, body, head, etc., is a stark white colour and their skin is very pale. Occasionally, as you catch a glimpse of one of their faces, you can see that their eyes are a sort of reddy pink colour. And they appear to be going about their daily business. You're a little, a little bit of a distance away. They don't appear to have spotted you yet. Um, Brock, do your people know anything of the lake? Um, I would have said it was probably more of a, a sort of legendary thing, was it not, John? I don't know if... What, make, make me a D6 wrong. We'll see if you know anything about the lake. Uh, a3. Okay, so yeah, at least it's mostly rumour and legend. You know that far in the distant past, 
when your people decided we're not having any dealings with this magic stuff that's what caused all these problems we're going to live a simpler life on the ice flows we're going to hunt the land the Leng were like another group of people who sort of pretty much did a similar thing but they settled in a different place you did hear in your legends there's odd sort of like disquieting rumours about them you know like your people don't really like to speak about them but you've never really been sure why you've probably never actually met a Leng they seem to pretty much keep to this small area around their village but you have other tales that supposedly their elders are amongst the wisest people in Valconan yeah so much much of the information is of legend and whether it stands true or not is yet to be seen well let us go and find out um, so I think I'll just approach the village kind of calmly with my hands kind of out peaceful like okay uh, as you approach the village hands out peacefully a young again of similar small stature with white hair and red eyes a although it's like it's not like a bright sort of like glowing evil red it's more like sort of albino like pinky sort of color a a young woman wearing thick furs pale white skin sort of runs forward she immediately draws a draws like a short bow and is like leveling it at you malcolm and in a halting slightly archaic form of the common tongue she's like go go we don't want you here you bring death to this place and she's like drawn the the string back um we have come to speak to your elders again she shouts out over the sort of the howling wind she's like that there is no, and a gentle sort of like rain has just started to fall so slowly getting heavier and she's like there is nothing for you here. You bring death to the Lang. What, what death do we bring? And as you say that, from one of the the huts behind one of these hide tents, you hear a voice say, Pang, leave them be. And she, she turns around and starts protesting. And again, the voice says, You cannot change what has been seen, my daughter. There, there is nothing your arrows, nor your formidable hunting skills can do against the tides of fate. Leave them be, my daughter. Leave them be. At which point, quite sullenly and obviously not happy about it, she just sort of like lowers her her bow, like, sort of lets go of the string and like, basically storms off, like, heading into the village just, like, leaving you guys behind. Um, can we approach the voice? Or keep moving towards the voice? Indeed. <clears throat> you move towards the tent that the voice was coming from, and as you get closer to it, there's a, a slight sort of spicy fragrance or aroma lingering in the air around the edge of this hide tent and from the various seams where it's been sewn together with leather thonging you can see like a few like little wisps of like fragrant smelling smoke curling up and again the voice says well i suppose it was inevitable now you're here 
Come inside. Come inside. Uh, so I guess we'll go inside. Yep. yep. You all pile into this tent and sitting amidst, like, cause it's obviously one of those tents which is like a centre pole, sitting amidst furs and animal hides is what appears to be a a similarly small statured, like, very shriveled, sort of walnut-faced old man with a long white moustache and a beard, again, wearing furs. He's sat back on these skins that have been piled up to make a crude chair. He has a, a long wooden pipe that he's got sort of sticking out the corner of his mouth. Well, you think it's wood, but as you get, get a bit further in, you can see there's like a, a sort of tallow candle like flickering faintly. You can actually see it's carved of some sort of ivory or bone. And as you walk in, he, he takes a, a puff on this pipe. And again, he exhales a a slightly bluish cloud of smoke and this sort of perfumed aroma wafts into the air. He, he gestures with a gnarled, sort of aged hand at a scattering of furs littered around the tent. Uh, so I'd sit down at opposite him, or opposite the fire, or opposite him across the fire. and see. He, he takes another drag on his pipe and he says... Uh, you must forgive my daughter. She, she she knows what must happen, but as is often the way with the young, she, she believes that she can change what is written. And tell me, what is it that must happen? He, he sort of like holds up his pipe and he says, the elder of the Leng, we imbibe the the mountain lotus, and it grants us hazy visions of what will come to pass. And for myself, I long ago witnessed that you would come to this village, and that my time would end shortly afterwards. I have accepted this. After all, what is written cannot be erased. But the young do not believe in such things any longer. And why would our coming bring death to your door? Make no mistake, I do not believe that you pose me any danger. And much is not clear to me, but what is clear is that Shortly after your visit, my time will come to an end. But I am an old man. I have led a good life. I will pass my knowledge on to my successor. And the wheel will continue to turn, as is the way of things. Mm. Well, I am sorry to be the vanguard of your doom. Oh, it is fine. As I say, I accepted it long ago. Mm. But please, uh, um, y your friends as well, please sit sit down, all of you. Yeah, take a seat. Sit down. He says, and tell me, for my vision did not make this clear, what brings you to the village of the Leng, of the torturous pass? 
that my people know so well, but others find quite formidable. Um, we are new here. Um, and I followed the judge and we seek information about the mirror. It, it raises an eyebrow when you're like, I I'm new here, but I follow the judge. He's like, um, and I'll indicate my bracers and uh, all of the symbols that I wear that reflect that. He says, um, well, well as, as I have said, everything moves in its cycle and everything has its time. As the old gods once fell, they will surely rise again. It is the way of things. It is. It is. Um... I fear that the mirror is awakening from its slumber under the ice and its minions do their business. Um, and I had hoped that you might <clears throat> be able to shed some light on the gaps in our knowledge. Um, well... <laughs> I can speak much of the the smoking mirror, one of the the ancient immortals. My people, many, many, many generations ago, we were once counted as allies of the smoking mirror before we realised the the terrible cost. We have we have since done our best to to distance ourselves from its influence. Jeez. Um, and do you know where it lies? He chuckles a little bit and answers. The, the the smoking mirror, like the rest of the ancient immortals, does not lie anywhere. It simply is. But as with all of the the ancient immortals, the the judge, the shining one, the flayed god, the great serpent, and of course the mirror they can they cannot directly interact with this world but their servants they are a different matter altogether mm -hmm. and do you know of Akbeat, the servant of the mirror i have heard and i do not know how accurate this is that long ago when the ancient Senna, the mages ruled Valconan. Before the great ice came, there was one amongst their number of that name who studied what they would deem to be forbidden magics. He worshipped the smoking mirror and, if legends are to be believed, rose from his death empowered by his worship. His fellow mages horrified by what he had become confined and bound him with ancient magics to a tomb far in the north where once his remains had lay okay um and do you know why the Senna brought the Ice Age on? 
well, it is a shame we do not have the the ancestors of your your giant friend here, and he, he gestures with his pipe towards Brock here to talk to us. Uh, I'm sure they could tell us more of this matter. Hmm. For a long, long time ago, the the Ice Walkers, although they they broke their staffs and they now they now have no truck with magic. Once long ago, their people were descended from the the Senna, but when they saw what their magics had wrought, they set it all aside for a simpler life. And given what I know, they seem to have made the right decision. And he nods at you, bro. I'll nod back, acknowledging it. My own people, we are we are descended from the servants of the Senna, those who did not wield magics. And when your ancestors left this land with the coming of the Great Ice, we remained behind. And in order to survive, our ancestors struck a bargain with the smoking mirror. But too late, we realized there was a terrible cost. And when we attempted to extricate ourselves from that bargain, the smoking mirror's anger was great indeed. And that anger has dogged my people ever since that day. Uh, what deal did you make with the mirror? You must understand that when the when the ancient mages, the Senna, when they wove their great working to conjure the great ice sheets that once blanketed the whole of this land, many animals, many hundreds of people died, and there was little to to no food. Survival was harsh. You needed to take any advantage you could in order to survive. One of my predecessors, one of the elders of the Lang, struck a bargain with the smoking mirror that in return for our service, we would be changed, as you see us now, so that we could better survive this new world we found ourselves in. But as the, as the years passed, many of the, the tribes of the Lang, for we were once more numerous than we are now, began to become as beasts to degenerate and become little more than animals those of us whose minds remained broke our covenant with the smoking mirror and in its anger the mirror cursed us and that curse has followed us throughout the rest of our history he, he holds up his hand as though he's going to say something else and then the tent flaps suddenly thrown open and the same young woman you saw earlier bursts in and she without even a looking at you guys she says uh, one of the one of the herdsmen has been has been slain by a a, a rock slide um, we, we must deal with it immediately at which point the old man like gets a little bit animated looks a little bit panicked and he's, he sort of stands up and says oh, forgive me this is a matter of some importance and he he sort of starts heading towards the the flap out of the tent, following his daughter, who like disappears into the village, leaving you guys unless you follow, sat alone in this tent. Uh, I think we'll follow and pay attention. Yeah. yeah, see if we can assist, maybe. 
Okay, so you follow them and you see quite a, like near one of the sort of rock faces to the east of the village, there's obviously been like a small rock slide. You see that already some of the other Leng have gathered around it. And you see there's like a hand sticking out from under this pile of rocks. Obviously, someone was under the rocks and they've died. The Leng all look quite panicked and there's a sense of palpable urgency in the air. You can see like Leng are like pulling these rocks off and like throwing them aside, trying to get at the guy underneath who's obviously already dead. I mean, you can tell like, by the amount of blood. I mean, Brock, you're like, no chance. But they all seem, to, even though they've obviously realised this guy's dead, they all still seem to have like a great sense of urgency. Like they're really throwing these rocks off and trying to like dig through to him. I'll, I'll go and lend some muscle into the situation. Yeah, you get a couple of nods off the language you with your like rippling sort of barbarian muscles, start heaving rocks and like throwing them into the snow. And after a few minutes, the sort of mangled and crushed body of this unfortunate Lang herdsman, his shepherd's crook broken and shattered by the falling rocks, is revealed. He's been pretty thoroughly pulped and is obviously entirely dead. At which point, cause obviously it's getting a little bit later on in the day now. You know, it's not night time, but you know, the light started to dim just a little bit. You notice the, the young woman, the young Lang woman, sort of looks up into the air and seems to note that like darkness is slowly starting to fall. She gets a look of panic on her face, turns round to the elder, and she says, uh, forgive me, Siva, but we we must do the ceremony immediately. It won't be long before it gets dark. The old man nods and says, uh, well, I would prefer we had more time, but yes, of course, uh, we, we will do it here. Run back to the tent, child, and fetch my things. She runs back, reappears a few moments later, carrying like a, a leather pouch, sets it down next to him, like various herbs and bowls and like small bone and stone knives are bought out of it. And you watch as the, the rest of the Senna sort of pick up these knives and they, for want of a better word, they slowly, well, well not slightly, quickly start to butcher the corpse of this unfortunately crushed man which obviously looks quite horrible to you guys but the Santa don't seem to think it's anything but they seem to be doing it very quickly again there's a sense of urgency about their, their movements what are you guys doing? I think we'll just watch them I think um, dead interested in their ceremonies and whatever else Um Okay. Yeah, I mean, this is this doesn't seem like magic, does it? It's, no, they're, they're, li- they're literally just butchering the body. Or... Yeah, I mean, I'm quite. Yeah, I'll, I'll be quite interested in it, this. I think you, you're thinking maybe some form of like ritual burial or something, Brock. Yeah, yeah, I think this is probably sort of quite common to uh, what the ice walkers would do or s- similar sorts of rituals and stuff. So, yeah, I'm gonna see what it's about. What's Quentin thinking while this is going on? I'm going to go back in the hut. You know, this is just a bit weird. Yeah, it's all... It's all very strange. I mean, you didn't even know these people existed until, like, an hour ago. That's it, man. So, yeah, you head back into the tent. And as you're sort of looking around, you... I'm going to quickly look around. You can see this, like, big wooden pipe that the old fellow was smoking out of. And it's just sort of, like looking at it you can see 
just like lying in amongst the furs that he was sitting on is what appears to be a small leather pouch which has it almost looks like like white petals like off a flower or something like, so, like they've been picked and like put in this this must be this lotus flower thing i'll take a couple of petals yeah no problem you take a couple of these mountain lotus petals that's fine just make a quick note Okay, so meanwhile, the rest of you, you watch as very skillfully and quickly the the Leng basically cut away all of the meat from the bones of their unfortunate fellow, and they, they make a pile of it, the viscera, the organs, the meat, the blood, everything in the snow next to it. And then once they've done that, they then bring out large sort of stones, like pestle and mortar style, and they start to like grind the bones down into a powder. I assume the old man's not involved in that sort of physical part. No, he's he's just sort of stood there occasionally. You 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 hear him say something in a language you don't understand, but he seems to be overseeing everything. Obviously, he's quite old and frail. He's not getting involved himself, but it looks as though it's something they've done before because they're doing it with a lot of skill and sort of speed. But he is actually involved. Yes, I can't is, like yeah. ask him what's going on. I'll well, well you, what you can do, he's, he's stood there. He's not like got his hands in or anything. He's just stood there like, going, oh, do that, do that, do that. All oh, right, so it's not like a speech or anything. I, no, I, no. I, I just, I just ask him then. Uh, I'm interested. What, what is the, the haste of this ritual before darkness? He says, "Well, I, I told you before back in the tent that when my people." of old broke our compact with the smoking mirror its anger was great and it had cursed us and that curse has followed us down through all the years to this present day now when one of my people dies if their if their body is left on the first night it rises as a as a bloodthirsty winter spirit that we call the wendigo this since those days this has been our way of preventing that from happening whilst also taking the strength of our fallen back into the tribe and as he's saying that you notice like the lang of basically they've started like a small campfire they've dragged like a big cooking pot over they've put all the blood the organs the meat into this cooking pot and they've started they put it on the fire they started heating it up as they finish grinding the bones down into a powder that's added into the cooking pot as well and one of them's like stirring it with like a big wooden branch so they're going to consume consume to uh like take their strength or whatever okay and indeed Pretty after good. After this is this sort of cooking has finished, the the various lengths sort of start bringing out like bone and wooden bowls, and they start sort of ladling out the the remains of this person, which has now been like stewed down into like a a bloody mulch. They start ladling it out into these bowls, and the remaining lengths start consuming the remnants of their deceased fellow. But it's all done with. Although it's done with haste and with urgency, 
it's also done with great reverence when they they hold up their bowls as though they're at a it's some sort of prayer or communion and the person ladling out the the stew does so with great ceremony and many of them mutter a few words in their own language of presumably prayer or thanks before they begin drinking this stew out of their bowls as this is going on bullseye one of the one of the languors stood near the pot walks up to you and he holds out a wooden bowl containing this like bloody stew towards you there's maybe like an eye floating in it so who's he passing that to um he's holding it out to bullseye so is there any ice walker prohibition on cannibalism Stuff. Well, well, they tend not to just randomly like eat their own, but they're, they're like ice walkers. You know, like, if someone dies and you ain't got no food, you do what you got to do to survive. Yeah. Like, to the ice walkers, like surviving's like the ultimate goal. Like you do what you got to. Yeah. So, he'll. How big is the bowl? <laughs> like, how big are we talking? It's just like big enough to fit inside like two hands, so like yeah, that sort of okay, size. Because yeah, yeah. there's quite a lot of length, so it's not like you all have to like drink like a massive cauldron of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, uh, he he will partake, indeed. Yeah, you you slurp it down. It's because it's been stewing for a while. It's just like a sort of a blood soup with bits of meat in it pretty much mm-hmm. and it has a slightly odd like grainy texture from this powdered like bone they've dropped into it it's it's not altogether unpleasant but you know you know what it is i mean it's it's not great but it's not the worst thing you you could eat and obviously as this is going on the rest of you who are stood there so quentin malcolm harp brock one of the Lang will also, well, sorry, not for you, Quentin, because you're in the, the tent, but Malcolm and Brock, the the Lang, offer you these small wooden bowls that are holding them out to you. And you can see this bloody stew with bits of meat and viscera floating in it. Uh, no, thank you, my friend. Um, let the, the strength of your kin stay within your tribe. The, the Lang nods and the bowl will be passed off to, to another member of their tribe. They don't seem to take it as any great insult. How about Brock? As this bowl is like held out towards you. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's he's a man of ceremony and stuff like that. He's He's been observing this. Um, and I don't know if there's some sort of gesture like a bow or any sort of any sort of movements or anything they do as a partaking in this book. We'll go with a bow. Yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, yeah, gratefully accepts as sort of closer to the Lang than probably Malcolm and and the others. Uh, Yeah. And he sort of nods or bows in a respectful gesture and he sort of follows the suit of the others, sort of drinks it or whatever they've been doing. Yeah, so over the course of the next hour, all the remnants of this fallen Lang are consumed. And once that is done, 
the living tribes people seem to calm down a great deal the sense of urgency bleeds out of the scene they seem much happier now they know their fellow's not going to rise as this horrible winter spirit and they gradually start drifting back towards their their various tasks and the sort of daily stuff that they do you notice as it starts getting dark one lang then another then another they all start singing this slow sort of haunting lament in their own language which given that ice walkers are sort of share some sort of descendants with the with the lang you're able to make out a few words brock and they're basically singing this lament lamenting the fact that one of their tribe has died but also giving thanks that he lives on in each of the tribesmen who remain and that his strength will flow back into the rest of the tribe and help them survive the long cold nights ahead at which point the old the old man siva gives you gives you all a nod and he starts like hobbling back towards his tent seemingly his task done okay so i guess we're following back to his tents okay yep no problems he so obviously as you're there quentin in the tent the tent flap opens this this old wizened man with this bushy white beard comes sort of about halfling size sort of like comes walking back in he gives you a nod and he he sits back down picks up his pipe again you see him like reach into the pouch take some of these white petals like thumbs them into the bowl of his pipe lights the pipe with like a, a flint and then starts like puffing away on it then a few moments later the rest of your fellows come into the tent the old man's like sat down he's getting himself comfortable in his furs like it, he looked he has like a look of slight a mingling of like mournfulness and relief on his face but he seems to have like i said the urgency has left the scene and he he seems to calm down as he takes like a long drag on his pipe and he exhales this this spicy smelling smoke into the air can you tell us more of this curse says well i i don't know what more there is to tell as i have as i've said to your friend and he gestures with the with the pipe to brock the the curse of the smoking mirror afflicts all of our people if one of us falls and their body remains when the hours of darkness falls it rises as a cannibalistic savage mindless winter spirit And has it how many years has this curse been upon you M many hundreds of years okay. when when my time comes shortly after you have left us a similar ritual will take place for me but the my knowledge my wisdom all that i've seen and experienced will be taken into my successor and that way the law and the knowledge of our people and our history the mistakes we have made and the lessons we have learned will not be forgotten when my body perishes 
And do you think our coming means your death or the death of the Lang? I believe it is only my own death. Okay. But as I say, I am an I'm an older man. I am reaching the end of my time. It is not surprising to me that I should that my body should fail around this time. But I know that even in dying, a, a part of me will live on in my successor, as those who came before me, their knowledge, their experience, their hopes and their dreams lives on in me in some part. And is there more you can tell us of the immortals? What, what is it you wish to know? I, I, I will happily share with you what I can. Um, I would know of the people who followed the judge what they were called and where they were based and whether any of their texts may yet be available whilst I cannot speak for where the, the texts of the, the immortal known as the judge may lie now the the judge was the the immortal who dealt with obviously judgment night and also sorcery into the earth she was associated with the colour black black as a starless night and was the highest place of her kind in old Valconan for as the power of the Senna waxed strong and they came to rule over Valconan so did the power of the immortal who was responsible for sorcery and works of great magic waxed strong as well Mm. And did the Senna follow all follow the judge or did they were they split between the immortals as is often the way with these pantheons? The people of the people of Old Valconan gave respect to to all of the the ancient immortals, whether that be the the five great immortals or the the two who followed afterwards but they would give they would give offerings and they would give praise to them whenever they felt that they would benefit from the blessing of the immortals so for example when they when they went to war or when they made battle they would give offerings to the shining one who would lend strength to their arm and rightness to their cause when they, when they gathered their crops, when they bought in their victuals and their food, they would make offerings to the flayed god who governs the spring and all growing things. But chief amongst them, certainly for the Senna, was the judge, because their power, they believed, came from him, and they worked their great works of sorcery, so they believed only at the judge's behest. Okay. And what can you tell me of the two immortals who followed afterwards? First I first I must make you understand that that the world we the world we walk on now is not the, the first world, but the third. There were two great creations that came before it. The the great cosmic principle of law 
first created two great worlds and each in their turn was undone by the forces of dissolution and chaos. When the second world fell into darkness, a few of those who dwelt there, the five that we now call the greater immortals, were saved and they helped to prevent this world from also falling into chaos. But one of their number, the mirror, was corrupted in doing so. But, as is the way with such things, this world has a life of its own, and this world imbued two of the people who first dwelt in these lands with great power, rendering them like unto the immortals. In the ancient time they were known as the Horned God and the Mother, and they sought to balance the forces of law and chaos and preserve the life of the land. Um, and do you know what happened to the horned god and the mother? Did they, did they disappear with the forest? Much like the other immortals, they, they do not really exist in this place, as you would understand. But they have servants who can interact with this world. The greatest amongst them was a, a man who wielded a great blade made of green glass empowered by the horned god and the mother but when the great fo western forest the Tolmanwode disappeared he went with it and has never been seen since and some believed at the time that it was his disappearance that allowed winter to gain such a a firm grasp on this land others say it was the power of the Senna magics some whisper that perhaps some other entity or power lent strength to the Senna's magics. How true that is, I cannot say. My, my people were not there. Mm. Indeed. Um, but t tell me, tell me, young fellow, what of what of your gods, of your immortals? As you say, you are. You are new here. Surely new lands and new people must have new gods. Um, it is our understanding that the, the prophet who led the, the Senate and others away from Valconan um, Uh, at the time of the Great Freezing um, has joined the the gods or is certainly re revered as a god amongst the people of the New World um, well, it, it does it does not seem unreasonable after all as I've told you the, 
the great immortals themselves were once although not the same as they were once similar to what we are now and they were lifted up into their current exalted position perhaps this prophet you speak of found his own pathway to immortality yes and certainly there has been many years that, that the people since the people left this land um, and, and much has been lost our knowledge has not kept us as neatly as your own um, so yes yes it is a it is a the, the right that we use is a is a great gift of my people but it's also a a burden after all as the as the current elder I am restricted to where I can travel for instance if I were if I had met my end under that rockfall like that unfortunate um, herder without the ritual would not be able to be performed and the knowledge I possess would be lost so although it is a great blessing and it gives me great perspective it also means that I cannot travel very far from the village because the the gift I carry is too precious to be to be lost simply because I I would like to see more of the world indeed indeed it is a curse in and of itself no doubt indeed mm. however the any gestures his pipe again the the petals of the mountain lotus allow me glimpses of far away places and of distant times and I must content myself with that. Indeed. Um, and have you seen any indication of how you will die when we leave this place? I believe it will be of natural causes. It will simply be my my age. Uh, it is it is my time. That is what I believe. Okay. Although I cannot see entirely the exact manner the although the the lotus petals of the mountain lotus are powerful they are also difficult to understand what is seen at which point he he sort of looks at you malcolm and he says uh, for instance um when your your friend who waits with your your other companions at the foot of the plateau when he saw the injury that was done to your fellow and he gestures with his pipe at Quentin was it not difficult and confusing for him such as as it is with the lotus petal yes yes his his visions can be difficult to interpret um, for sure um, um, so you, you mentioned that you, you perhaps don't know too much about the Georgia where the text may be stored um, would there have been a, a sanctuary or a, a, a church as we would know it now where he would have been most revered or she would have been most revered he says well I know that far to the the northwest of here, many, many days travel. There is a. There was once an old keep, a 
I suppose you would call it, known as Winter's Hold. It was built on the shores of a, a great frozen lake, but from what I hear it was once a, a great stronghold. But when the ice came it disturbed a great beast that dwells within the depths of the lake. And the beast rose from the cold waters and tore down much that had been built in the keep. It is possible that you may find something of the Senna there. Far to the northwest. Indeed. Okay. Now tell me, Master Lang, is there anything that we can do for you to thank you for your hospitality and the knowledge that you have shared with us? He says, I do not believe so at present, but if there comes a time when the, the greater servants of the smoking mirror awaken from their slumber below the ice they will surge westwards and my people will have to leave the sanctuary of the plateau if there comes such a time and my people are moving and you are capable of giving them sanctuary I would consider that ample payment for the knowledge I've given you if you were to offer them that we certainly could um we are, you know, one, maybe two days travel from here um, at the mouth of the, the river. Um, our fort is, is not large, but we have, we have some space and certainly your people would be offered sanctuary there. Um, perhaps not to your liking longer term, but certainly we, we would offer sanctuary to any um, and as you say it's a small price to pay for the the information that we have gleaned while here thank you if you if and I hope this does not happen if the, the greater servants of the smoking mirror do rise from their slumber it will take far more than the the meagre strength of those few of my people who remain to stand against them I believe we will all have to stand together to have any choice to any chance of defeating this evil I think you may be right we must look to to help each other and build up our, our, our strength together we are stronger Indeed. Um, I'm going to ask if I can off, oh, ask a couple of questions of this great wise wise man. He answers, um, of course. Um, we've we've heard rumours or or legends of um, some sort of doorway to the south of here that potentially would travel to the lost woods or forests of the west is that something you've heard of I'm I'm sorry no I I don't have any knowledge of that 
it, so if, when the, if such a gate does exist, it must have been created after my people left that area. Um, and the only other thing was, uh, we, we've heard of these three uh, legendary swords or great swords. Yes. Um, a black one, a sword of chaos, or uh, the night, sword of the night, night blade. Would you would you know how it was created, or possibly how it, such a thing would be destroyed he says well in long long ago there was one of the the first races that walked on this earth we know we now call them the ancient ones they took the essence of the, the cosmic powers of law uh, from neutrality and of chaos and with mighty magics that would make even the Senna's greatest workings pale in comparison. They forged them into three blades. The idea being that all of these forces must exist in harmony and that if a great champion of law, of neutrality and of chaos wielded each of the blades, this world would be kept in balance. Some even say that these, these ancient ones are older than this world and that they helped create the first peoples of this world and helped to protect it from the destructive forces of chaos when the world was young. Some even say that they they tutored the Senna for a time before they left this place for realms unknown. It seems that the sort of neutrality is sorely missed these days. The green blade, or indeed, the uh, the the green steel. It is a number of my predecessors believed that it was the the loss of this blade, which was the bridge between the sun sword and the night blade. In the same way that neutrality is the bridge between the extremes of law and chaos, and that it was its loss that created the imbalanced times we currently live in, and perhaps even allowed chaos to gain a foothold in this world. Although whether there is any truth to that, I do not know. Hmm. Is there anything else we can learn from him? This wise one. Can't think of anything else. Um, who is your the person that you're? Uh, oh, what's he called? Who's your successor? Sorry, <laughs> um, it is a it is a man by the. A good man by the name of Zanway. He is he is young and still a little impetuous to become the elder, but I was myself once a young man when I took on this position. But I'm sure he will do fine after all he will have the, the wisdom of myself and my far wiser predecessors to guide him. Indeed. 
Well, I think we have taken up enough of your time. Um, it was a pleasure to have met you, and I hope to deal more with your people in the coming weeks and months as we get to know each other better and you know come to assist each other to survive in this large land. Thank you. It was it was good to be able to to pass on some of my knowledge one last time before I reach the end of my life. But in a way you may see me again for I will live on in my successor Zanway. Indeed. And these this conversation that we have had here will be part of the knowledge and the memories that will be passed on to him. So in a way, he will also know you. I know in a way. Indeed. You are a truly interesting people. And it has been a pleasure to have spent this time with you. He nods and takes a drag on his big pipe. I think I'll make my way outside and okay, start heading problems. away. So I'm going to suggest we have a five-minute break there, guys. Refresh your drink, think about what you want to do next, etc. And then we'll come back and crack on in five minutes, if that sounds okay with everybody. Yeah, cool. Okay, back in five. All right. Okay, so we're all back. You've done your your chat with the elder of the Lang village. That's pretty much concluded. You know, you guys are leaving the tent. He's sort of like settling back for his evening sleep or whatever he's about to do. So, obviously, you guys, is there anything you want to do before you, you leave the Lang village? Anything else you want to do? Is it safe to depart in the sort of the time of the day, traveling down the mountainside, or? Yeah, I mean it's it's still not like pitch black, yeah. And you think as long as you take it slowly. I mean, you might have had doubts about it, but to be honest, you saw how how well Quentin was able to get you up here. So, 
Okay. You're pretty confident that he can probably get you back down as well. Okay, as long as I don't think there's a, a massively extra risk involved in the, you know, no, you or light or something. Yeah. Now we'll crack on there. Okay. Yes. Well, one thing to do before you head back down there is obviously we need to uh, we need to track what the older ice worm and the the child of chaos have been doing over these like three days you guys have been traveling so can i ask... do we really know yeah well, we do though it's it's, it's necessary <laughs> it's got to be done okay so brock can you please roll me 3d6 surely can 3d6 plus uh Yep. Four, five, six. Okay, lovely. Four. I was going to say that's how we come to a grisly end. <laughs> That's how the old ice worm comes out. <clears throat> hey, Mandels. Okay, and then Quentin, can you please roll me three d six as well? And basically, the first d six is to see where this like humongous ice dragon was moving. And two, two, four. And this is see where this giant spider-like chaos creature is moving. So. Two and two. Okay, so that's where they've moved on the map over the course of those three days. Fight, 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 fight. To be honest, it's probably not going to be much of a fight because the dragon's probably going to be like, I don't fancy much of that, however, I'm up here. Yeah, yeah. I'll get rid of one of them, though. <laughs> yeah, that's my it. breath weapon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just going to like fly high and like uh, breathe some like icy like death on it. Oh, that doesn't seem to have affected it. I'll just keep going. <laughs> like, you know, when you see like a giant like alien spider thing romping about, even a dragon's going to be like, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> I'll probably find something easier to pick up. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, I, I could risk getting harmed by this, or I could just like fly on and look for like another farmstead that I can just like swoop down and eat without any harm. Yeah. Okay, so what do you guys want to do? You've got back down to the to the bottom of the plateau. Obviously, Weimar, the rest of the hirelings are waiting there, guarding the cart, etc. If we just want to head to New Zealand and. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Okay. Okay. We've been putting it off for so long. <laughs> okay, that's absolutely fine. Feel free to move yourself to New Zealand. There's no risk of you getting lost because, like, you can see New Zealand from where you are. So it it takes about a day to to get to New Zealand, as you're rightfully said. As you're as you're traveling, the, the heavy rainfall continues to get heavier, and you start to hear the dim, distant rumble of thunder. There's heavy, pendulous, dark clouds hanging in the sky. 
in the distance you see the flicker and like the crackle of lightning as I've said like a storm front's rolling in so by the time you you've got down you've traveled back to New Zealand you're all pretty thoroughly soaked through to oh. the skin it's another day at the office how far away are we from the heavy heavy winter job couple of months couple of months okay I'm just going to bring up the new Zealand map there we go So, approaching New Zealand from the north, obviously you see the stockade. There's a wooden protective wall that you had built around the village of New Zealand. You can see the buildings like a covering of, sort of snow on them, although the rain's washing a lot of it away. And in fact, let me just change this, uh, this weather deal here. So you're heading back to New Zealand. As you head sort of south, you obviously pass the beacon that was built just to the north of New Zealand. And as you're heading past, you see Old Jones, one of the villagers, obviously manning the beacon at the minute. You know, this bonfire that is lit to warn of any signs of danger. And he sort of like, he waves at you. He's like, oh, are they? You all right? Hey. <clears throat> then I just... Uh, did the messenger crowd, did they move nearby? He says, I'm sorry? The, um, the messaging service. He says, oh, them. He says, oh, yeah, they're, they're, still in the, they're still in the process of moving all their stuff. Uh, from what I hear, uh, about another day or so, and they, they should be fully fully installed. Oh, cool. They're and just bringing over the rest of the stuff. Uh, how goes the merchant and his setup? Is he set up correctly? All ready to go? He says, yeah, as far as I, uh, as far as I understand it, uh, he's pretty much good to go. Oh. Excellent. He's, uh, he's still got those, um, those like adventuring types, you know, the ones that he hired on to, uh, to like look after it. Seems like they might be staying on a bit more permanent, like, uh, I think he's like, from what I heard, he's like paid him to like stay on and like make sure all of his stuff's protected and whatever. He seemed to be a, seemed, I mean, seemed to be a bit panicky, a little bit jumpy, you know, about his stock and stuff like that. So, I think you had a bad experience up north. Oh right, right. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, yeah, he's, he's, he's a funny, he's a funny fellow, you know. He seems a little bit nervous and a little bit jumpy, but you know, di different sorts, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once bitten, twice shy, as they say. Wow. Yeah, you're not wrong there. Uh, indeed. Well, let us leave you to your uh, task, and we'll see you around town. No problem, sir. 
everything's been quiet here, nothing nothing notable to report. He says, although now I say, he says, uh, we did see that bloody great big thing like flying not far to the north and uh, he says, oh, and there was a there was a terrible like weird like screeching noise like a, a day or two ago, but it but it was far away, so we, we haven't lit the beacon or anything yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there are a number of pretty large, scary creatures traversing the the, the wilderness. Uh, all we can do is hope that they don't find our particular corner. Well, yeah, you're right there, he says. Still, hopefully, you know, with the uh, with, with the wall and with that, with that new thingy they've got on it, that'll... Uh, Hopefully deter him a little bit. Hopefully. Hopefully. That was certainly our intention. Anyway, so, sorry, but I don't want to keep you chin wagging out because you've got a business anyway. He says, uh, hey, you, have a, you have a safe trip to the village. Yeah, indeed. And uh, I'll buy you a point when you get off duty. Oh, very kind of you, Mr. Hart. Very kind of you. And obviously you guys carry on in your way to the rest of the village. You, as much as you remember it, a collection of wooden buildings that have been sort of slightly proofed against the oncoming winter snow, thanks to like Brock's instructions. There's the the wooden wall around it with the guardhouse that's manned by like the defenders that Cotton Nickel employed on your behalf. You can see various villagers milling around like chatting, although like a lot of them are sort of like standing under like the wooden eaves of the buildings, you know, sheltering from the heavy rain that's coming down. You notice a few sort of like looking a little bit apprehensively at the skies, you can hear like the <laughs> of thunder in the distance. As you as you walk down past the river, you can see like the fishermen's boat sort of like bobbing up and down as like the water's getting churned up by the rain. And you can see like a, a fairly miserable looking guard who's like stood on the on the bridge trying to like smoke a pipe with like sort of like holding his furs over his like head and trying to shelter his pipe against the rain, like his spear sort of in one of his other hand as he's like Um So I guess we should go and see Creelac and Cotton and see what else is going on around the town. Um what what are they actually uh, what are they actually up to at the moment? Were they looking into the the wood sort of um, business, setting up a sort of sawmill type thing, or are they not moved on to that yet? Right. Uh, I know Creelac was looking at the device to attack the dragon should the dragon come, and then we had him oh. looking for more of the calendar after that, and then oh, any right. other treasure information. Um, yeah, if he, he, ba- he basically he's he's wrapped up his work on the um, the bolt thrower, and he's now gone back to what you said him previously, which was to like locate treasure rumors and rumors yeah, and, yeah. and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Um, okay, I didn't know if you wanted him, to, not for my purposes, but for your purposes, to look at that ring to see if he could. Yes. Yeah, that's on my list. <laughs> mm. <laughs> to see if we can find out why it's not working anymore. Um, But I, well, why don't we start with Cotton and see what he's been up to? Because um, I have no memory of what we said that we wanted him to do. Did he go and get new people for us? No, I believe you set him to help him to relocate the messenger camp. Uh, I did, yes. We did. 
Okay, so I think we should uh, guess go and see where he's at and hmm. how he's getting on and um, Okay, so you you head to the guard house and when you get there you don't see cotton inside. However there is the uh, there is one of the the guards, you know, they sort of cycle on and off and they tend to just sort of like lounge around in the guard room when they're on the break effectively. You see the, the young woman, Anne Williams, in there. She's she's got like a sort of like her leather like cloak slung over a, a wooden chair next to her. there's a water dripping onto the ground. She's uh she's sat there sort of like having a drink of whatever ale is available. You know, it, it seems as though she's like slightly warmed it in a small like sort of fire. There's a little bit of steam coming out of it. She's like drinking that. You can see now she's not got a hood and a robe on that she has like as she sort of like lifts up the mug. You can see she's got like these white sort of like even like scars running down the outside of her arm. She lifts up the mug, takes a sip of it. She looks up and gives you a nod as you walk into the guard room. Not surprised to see you. Obviously, like she knows that like you guys are ultimately the ones who pay her. So. Um, ah, well, Mess, it's been some time. She, she, uh, she smiles and says, uh, "Oh, yes, it has been. It has been a while. I, I, I trust the evening finds you well. T- terrible weather. Yes, the weather is not great. Um, tell me, I see Captain Nickel. Do you know where he might be located? Oh, yes, he's um, he, he's at the messenger encampment. Um, he's helping them make the last final preparations to." To bring the last of their uh, their supplies over here. Okay. He, when when he left, he said probably by the end of tomorrow they sh- they should have the they should have them fully installed in the village. Okay. Um. Cool. So maybe I'll take a stroll out and uh, head down towards the messenger. Okay. As you start heading out of the room, she sort of holds hand up and says. Uh, Oh, b- b- before you all go, uh, we heard this horrendous noise coming from the west. Uh, almost be a, a day or two ago, uh, sounded like a cross between a, a baby crying and the, the devil himself. Uh, obviously, we, as one of the people that you paid to defend the the village, is there anything you can tell me about it that might help us prepare for whatever made made that ungodly sound? Uh, I I think all we can do is hope that the creature never finds us. Um, so so you you know what sort of creature it is then? I have seen it. Um, she she raises an eyebrow. She takes another swig of a a warmed mead. Um, and it is a huge creature. Um. Yeah, it's like a metal spider. It's an unlike anything we've ever seen before. Um, yeah, and I think all we can do is hope that it it loses itself to the west. She nods um, and says, "Well, let's hope you're right." Yes. But I will speak to Captain Nickel about improving the security on the Western Bank and 
Um, perhaps we need to make more bolt throwers and, and catapults and other defensive mechanisms. She says, I'll word, if you get a chance, by the way, uh, you should speak to Quilak. He, he got really excited a couple of days ago and was saying he had some news for you. Uh, he started okay. to, He started to tell me what it is, but you know what he the little guy's like once he gets going like, I I, I've got to admit I, I sort of zoned out after a few minutes uh, but he, he was very excited said he had some news for you okay well let me go and see him now and then I can head out and see Captain Nicol um, she raises a glass um, okay. okay so while that conversation is going on is there anything else the rest of you guys would like to do in the village at all Get my armor fixed. Yeah, that's fine. Obviously, all the people in the the village know you. You lived here before you went back to Rowaline with the merchant, and then you came back before you set out looking for these guys. So you know, there's a lot of people sort of like clapping you on the back and saying, "Oh, they they're glad to see you." You know, they they thought something horrible had happened to you because you've been gone in the wilderness for ages. Um, yeah, it's not a problem for you to get your armor fixed. That's soon sorted out and made all ship shape by one of the like the tanners and the blacksmiths that's easily sorted out for you sweet what about Brock and Weimar is anything you want to do I'd um, like to go and check out the chapel is it in any kind of use currently no unfortunately since the um, since obviously the original priest and then brother Lomas died there's not been a new clergyman in New Zealand, which, as you know previously, the locals are a little bit unhappy around because they're all good leander, fearing folk, and they, a few have sort of said, "Oh, maybe it's an omen." You know, we've we've had two priests die under like fairly horrible circumstances, and now we can't get another one. So they're a bit unhappy about it. Cause they they're not having the normal services and the holy days and stuff like that, but. They seem to think almost like it's disrespectful to to use the chapel when there's not like an actual clergyman there. So although they're keeping it clean and they're sort of keeping it repaired, it's not really being used for anything at the minute. I'll I'll set about. We probably don't have a better structure for it, so we'll just do it in the chapel. I'll I'll set about holding like a. Like a small feast, not like oh, let's empty the whole, you know, stars. But um, let's have a bit of a do uh, to celebrate Quentin coming back and also not dying in the ambush. And um, indeed, so yeah, <laughs> us getting back. You, you you speak to Josiah Means, who is the headsman of the village, and his wife Rose. And uh, Josiah's like, oh, I think that's a, a a damn fine idea, especially with all the strangeness that's been going on and. Everyone's been a little bit down because of the weather, and uh, I, I don't know if anyone's told you, by the way, uh, Weimar. Uh, there's been a couple of uh, wolf attacks in the the last couple of days. Uh, nothing that nothing that the guard couldn't deal with, of course. Um, I, I suppose it's the uh, it's the weather getting colder, and you know it's it's driving them further afield, looking for something to eat. Uh, obviously, we were defended behind the walls. Uh, we, we've got the guard, so it wasn't a problem, but. Uh, it sort of set people on edge a little bit. Yes, I, I, I think your idea of a, 
of a face a, a damn fine one why mark damn fine yeah we'll we'll i'll look into the walls but uh for the feast i was thinking we'll we'll put it in the chapel uh make use of it as uh no doubt our uh our clergymen would have wanted where they hear um i think offering this you know time of solace for everyone be entirely within what Leander would want us to do. So yes, I I, we'll, I think that's a fine idea. We we all know that uh, brother Lomas, uh, Leander rest his soul, liked a, a tipple as did his uh, predecessor. I, I think it's a, a lovely idea that we we have a feast to lift everyone's spirits and also to it, obviously honor Leander and honor those who uh, preached his word previously in the village. Might might get everyone's mind off the the weather and the winter coming in a little, you know. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be damn hard work once the real winter sets in a couple of months. Uh, so yeah. you know, let, let's get everyone's spirits up as much as we can before we. Uh, uh, do, yeah. are, are you going to organise this, or is there anything you need from me? Yeah, sure. I'll 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 do the thing. Yeah. So okay. that that's what uh, Weimar is going to be doing. So going about talking to everyone, like oh. We're basically because we don't really have like a giant, you know, larder full of exotic goods. We'll we'll do it like a potluck thing and then contribute from our funds as well. Like get the like we are gonna provide like a, a hefty uh, thing, but everyone can contribute as well. So yeah, uh, Weimar is gonna be looking into that. Uh, Malcolm, what what do you think? Like a hundred gold to yeah. get up uh, like the basis of because uh, it's not going to be fancy we don't have the fancy stuff around here but uh, the, the you know basic stuff 100 gold for uh, yeah even you know. two just yeah. you know let's, let's, let's do two if we can stretch it uh, yeah yeah so we definitely stretch it yeah. okay so so John 200 gold budget and yeah. then boom cross off like, the party get, funds yeah, yeah get everyone to contribute because not just to like offset the cost but also like bringing everyone in so they feel they're doing stuff yeah too. they're contributing to it yeah, yeah that's a lovely idea they're a part of this and as you're walking around chatting and everyone seems to like think this is like a really good idea you know they've not really had much to look forward to because they've they've not been celebrating although they've been sort of honoring the holy days of leander they've not really been able to like fully celebrate them as far as they're concerned because they've not got a priest to lead the ceremonies and whatever but they, they really seem to like buy into this because they've not had like a, a decent celebration in a long time. And as you're wandering around chatting to everyone, Weimar, one of the one of the guards, Robert Hayes, who's like, he, he's, a, he's a little bit on the sly side, but he's um, you know he's never he's never actually like done anything bad. But like a few people have like gone, oh yeah, we've heard about him. He's got he's got like, sticky fingers. He's like he's like oh, I've, I, he sort of like, laughs a little bit as though he's laughing to himself, and he's like, oh, I, I tell you what, Mister Lone Grover. I've got something you can have for your feast. He's like, come and have a look over here, and he like takes you to one of like the many like mm -hmm. small sheds, and he like sort of nudges the door open with his elbow, and he's like, what do you reckon to that? And it, as he points in, there's like three dead wolves in there, and you can see they've got like marks where like they've obviously been shot by arrows, and he's like, mm -hmm. yeah, like a day ago when like a, a pack of them came out, we like saw them off with the uh, with the bow fire. Uh, I thought, you know, well, it's a shame to like good meat go to waste so uh, me and uh, me and uh, Richardson we went out grabbed them up brought them in here and 
well, they ain't going to go off in this cold weather, are we? So we stuck them in there. Well, we we're going to stick them in the stores, but you reckon they might do for you, for your celebration? Oh, boy, let's look at it. It's not just about the... Oh, um, good thinking. It's cold. Probably the meat could be good. If you punctured some of the innards with the with the arrows, though, that, that might be the meat. He sort of holds his hand up and he's like, I, I wouldn't know, to be honest. I'm, I'm not a chef. Yeah, but that's that's good on you and good thinking. Uh, we'll, we'll get the pelts. We'll get the as much meat as we can use. Okay. You're, Bro- Brock, you're a smart one. Can Keep you doing that. Brock, can you roll me 3d6? Okay. Uh, two, three, and a four. Okay, so you have a quick look over, and you probably actually get a bit of advice from Brock on this because he's used to like living off the land. You have a quick look over these three wolves. Two of them are absolutely grand. One of them, like the arrow, has like gone through the like stomach and like one of the kidneys yeah. and like pierced it and like spilt all the like in, the acids and stuff inside. Yeah. It's like that one is no good, but the other yeah. two are absolutely fine. Yeah, so I'll get um. Maybe some help from Brock, maybe from other folks as well who know their way about a carcass. We'll, we'll try and get some pelts and uh, and use the probably the meat for a stew. Yeah, the no wolf problems. stew of New Zealand. <laughs> the famous wolf stew. Okay, so Brock, we've got Quentin getting his armor fixed. Weimar's organizing a feast. Malcolm's just spoke to one of the guards and is about to speak to Quilak. Is there anything in particular you want to do while you're in New Zealand? Um, I mean, he'll, he'll help out wherever he can, but again, he's trying not to show any sort of weakness, but he's he's feeling pretty feeble at the moment, and uh, after that sort of curse and stuff, he's been uh, living on death's door for quite a while, so every, oh, every oh, chance he's going to try and sort of get his head down, I'll rest. Obviously, guys, it took you a day to travel to New Zealand, so anyone who's down hit points can recover another 1d3. But yeah, he's... Uh, He's really felt the last couple of weeks of, you know, he's never been like that, for sort of. Yeah, never been that close to death before. No, nah, he's never felt that weak and sort of feeble and, yeah. Again, like I say, he won't show any signs that if anyone wants help, he'll, you know, he'll put a brave face on it and that. But he'll be trying to sneak some downtime as much as he can. Yeah, so... So you're sort of like knocking about, you've just done like a bit of a circle of the outskirts of the village, you know, check out everything out, you're helping out where you can. You've helped Weimar look at these like wolf carcasses. You're sort of having a bit of a wander around. You've been up to check on the guard on the bridge. He's all right, just a bit miserable and wet. But he's like, oh, it's the end of my shift soon, so you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. And you're just sort of like wandering back across the bridge when you feel like the temperature appears to, to drop ever so slightly. And from behind you, almost as though someone was whispering in your ear, you hear this voice go, Why? And then when you look around, there's no one there. I've definitely never experienced anything like that before, I'm sure. Uh, I'm going to take it on board, but... I'm going to put that down to the weakness and the curse and stuff for now. Um, but it's, yeah, it's going to freak him out a little bit. But again, he'll, he'll hide that as much as possible. 
Yep. You, um, you start you start walking back across the bridge, like you say, like trying to put a bit of a brave face on it. And as you're doing so, you hear Clarence Jones, who is like the guard who's on the bridge, like trying to smoke his fucking pipe. You hear him shout from behind you because you're walking away from him into the video. You hear him shout, Halt! Who goes there? Well, obviously at that, I'll spin round and see what's going on. Okay, you spin round. Now, you know Clarence, like, despite his name, is like pretty much a no-nonsense, like, sort of bruiser type. And you can see he's, like, he's got his hand axe out. And there appears to be a a figure wearing sort of woodsman-style clothing and, like, a, a leather hood pulled over its face, sort of very slowly walking across the bridge with its arms sort of held out like that. But it's like head down. Roll me a D six, bro. Okay. That looks very mysterious. A one. Okay, as you peer at this figure, sort of trying to work out who it is, trying to size it up, like you say it looks suspicious to you. As you look at it, you realise that you can actually the figure is slightly transparent. Like you can see you can see the hazy outline of the scenery behind it through the figure. As it sort of slowly walks forwards towards this, towards Clarence, who's like stood there with like his shield out and his, his like round wooden shield and his axe, and he's like, "Announce yourself. What's your business in New Zealand?" Yeah, I'll, I'll call Clarence back straight away. I say, "Get back to me. Get away from that thing." As we've said earlier, they know that like you guys are their bosses, effectively. So he. Although he doesn't take his eyes off it, he's still got his shield and his axe. He like slowly, like looking down, like walks backwards until he's at level with you, but he's still holding his axe and shield up, ready to go. Yeah, and I shout out for Weimar and um, Malcolm and Quintin as well. Okay, so so Malcolm, you're just about to go and speak to Quilag. Weimar, you you're doing your celebrations. Quentin, you're just coming out like with your nice fixed armor, like going, oh, this is all right actually. When you hear Brock being like, Hop! Quentin! Weimar! And you hear him shouting from over on the bridge. I'll get a jog on. Yeah. You're pretty close to the bridge, so you're probably yeah. the first there. And as you jog around, you see Brock, so this big, like, muscly man mountain of a barbarian stood there. And he's got, like, this sort of, like, the hooded figure of one of the town guards that they employ, Clarence Jones holding a, a round wooden shield and an axe above his head. And he, he appears to be shouting at this figure, walking slowly across the bridge, like head down, hood covering its face, wearing like woodsman's leather clothing, arms held out like that, walking very slowly across the bridge. And again, as you peer at it, you can also like see, see the hazy outline of the scenery behind it. The figure is slightly transparent. Can you make out any features or anything? I mean, is it... It's not like someone that you sort of met that's passed away or any weirdness like that. Romeo D6. Five. As you look at it, you're not sure because you can't see the figure's face, but you're pretty sure from the clothes it's wearing that that's Gordon Sinclair, the, the woodsman that you guys employed that was killed by one of the Inquisitors when you went to Deerson. 
Um, well, I'll call. I'm keeping away from it until the others arrive, but I'll call out, Gordon, is that you? And sort of inquisitive. It, it lowers its arms and lifts up its head, and you see the pallid, transparent visage of Gordon Sinclair. His beard and his features seem to ripple slightly as though blown by an unseen wind as he he has the gaunt pallor of death about him and he continues slowly walking across the bridge his mouth moves as though he's saying something but you can't hear any sound coming out I'm I'm running onto the scene with like a I want to say like a, um, you know a, a, like a string of garlic just hanging off <laughs> my uh, my neck as I was carrying it somewhere. It's like, what, what, what what's going on? Yeah, Wymore comes around the scene. He's got like a what like a skinned wolf over one shoulder, string of garlic round his neck. You come sprinting up. You see this scene as I've described. So you can see Gordon Sinclair's face with his like rippling beard as he's walking slowly across the bridge and all his ghostly transparentness. It looks Whoa. like Gordon's returned. <laughs> Whoa. What, what are we doing here? Uh... At, at which point, Clarence, who stood next to you, Brock, is like, fuck this, I'm getting the others. And he like turns around and he starts running back to like presumably get the rest of the guard. Yeah, yeah, I've got no problem with that, so let him go. Um, I mean, he did seem to. Re I say he did seem to respond when I called out his name. Yeah. I say, what business have you with us, Gordon? He, he walks forward, and his his mouth moves, and you do hear whispered words come out, but they seem to echo for, across an impossible distance, and it's. His mouth doesn't move in time with the words, as though you're hearing what he's saying with a slight delay to it. And he says, I cannot rest. Why did you leave me? And he continues like slowly walking across the bridge. And as you sort of look at where his feet are falling, you see as his like ghostly feet move across the bridge, where he stepped, there's like tiny like ice crystals on the bridge as though like his passage is causing the temperature to lower and slowly freeze parts of the bridge because he was killed by the shadowy elf creatures wasn't he no he was killed by the um, inquisitors oh oh yeah that's right yeah when you um, when you went to try and prevent the witch burnings by the times yeah, of yeah. inquisitors in Dear Sun the, the lead inquisitor Solomon Campbell who Quentin has recently experienced the undead version of, so just like slew him, you know, you know, like he whooped that curse down on. It just did a spell on him and instant killed him, didn't he? Yeah, you know, we like laid that curse down on you and Malcolm, and you were like, oh, we've got ten days to like live. He basically did the old like Darth Vader on Gordon Sinclair. He was like, <coughs> and he just dropped down dead. All right. So he's risen him up somehow. Um, have we got any way to put him out of his misery? 
Okay, so Malcolm at this point is your because obviously you're a bit further out you're going to see Queelac. Like obviously you've heard the shouting, like Brock shouting you all from the direction of the bridge. And as you sort of like look around in that direction, you see like a guard run into Clarence, run into like the guardhouse, and he's shouting for the other guards. You see like four of the guards like bowling towards the bridge or like grabbing their axes and bows and shields. Okay, and then when I get there, I can see this through visage. Yeah, um, you, you arrive about the same time as like the four guards. They've all got like bows drawn. A couple of them have got axes out. You, you come in at the head of them, Malcolm. You can see Quentin, Weimar, Brock there, where you can see the the spectral figure of Gordon Sinclair walking across the bridge, uh-huh. leaving these rime frost footprints behind him. Okay. Now, would I have heard him saying, "I cannot rest"? Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you. Okay, so I guess what I want to kind of do then is pull out my sort of respect and say I hope this will help you rest as I strike down this uh, ghost. Okay, you you swing the sword of respect, your magical blade at the ghost, and it passes through him, causing a ripple of his okay. spectral substance and out of the other side seemingly not harming him at which point he he plunges his arm forward and it actually passes into your chest near okay. where your heart would be and your chest goes cold and for a brief moment you see a vision of the outskirts of Deer Sun, the, the large sort of church building where you face down the Inquisitors and you see a short distance beyond just where the trees start a forgotten jumble of bones with the decaying remnants of a woodsman's outfit splattered with blood lying near it abandoned partially covered by the snow and then you like snap back to yourself as the spectre pulls its hand out of your chest leaving you cold all through but otherwise unharmed okay is the spectre doing something in the immediate aftermath, like continuing to walk, or now it, as it pulls its hand, it stops and it's facing Malcolm, and it smiles, but it's a, a smile tinged with sadness and regret. Okay, if I feel we must go to Deer then. Looks like he wants a, a final burial of some yeah. sort. Ceremonial. I guess in our haste to lift the curse, we. Hmm. And as, as you're sort of like, obviously you're still holding the sword of respect. You feel almost like a, a small like vibration run through the sword, and immediately, as though someone had just like dropped the thought into your mind, you're like, "Oh yeah, I should bury him and give him a respectful burial." <laughs> but, but, but by now you've been holding the sword of respect for long enough that you know that like that's its thing whenever like someone's killed the sword's like you should bury them respectfully <laughs> okay although it seems to have no power to force you to act on it it's just like it, it's like someone's put a calendar reminder so like whenever anyone dies like the sword's like oh just dropping you a reminder you should probably bury it <laughs> um Several okay. days late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Overdue. Overdue. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I guess we want to see what Quirac has found. 
I want to speak to Cotton Nickel. I think we need a wall on the western side of the river, and then I think we should potentially go to Deer Son and find out what happened to the priests that were there and uh, bury the remains of Mr. Sinclair. I mean, do you think we can ask him to return to his body and we'll, you know, lay him to rest? Because or... he's going to spook the rest of the village quite badly, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if he hasn't already. So I guess I'll try and speak to the spectre and um, ask him to return to his body and tell him that we'll be there in three days hence. Let's see what happens. As you say that, it, it nods sadly, and again, its mouth moves, but no words come out. And as it does so, its body begins to, to break apart like a morning mist, slowly dispersing and fading away until after a few moments it is no more. Okay, so I think I'll go and try find find Creelac because I guess I have a urgent <laughs> calling to go north. Um, so I'll try and find Creelac and see if he has found anything for us. Yeah, not a problem. It doesn't take you long to find Creelac. You see the diminutive Ice Walker Sage with his little like leather pointy hat on, his like jacket, and he's a he's like blue tinged skin which you know is common for like older ice walkers or like younger ones like Brock and they have a very slight sort of sheen as he sees you he's like ah oh, good there you are I've, I've got I've got some news for you and he starts like running towards you well I say running it's more like waddling because he's tiny <laughs> how, how, how goes it Greenland? he says oh good good uh I've got some news about that uh, that research you asked me to do. Oh, excellent. He says, uh, well, uh, knowing your interest in uh, in the old gods and the old ways, uh, I, uh, I've i managed to, uh, in, in conjunction with the, um, the the messenger service who are working with Cotton at the minute, I'm not sure, but anyway, anyway, uh, I'm sure you've heard all about that. Uh, it, it's not important, but... According to what I've heard and what I've researched, uh, about four or five days travel to the north of here. Uh, well, as, 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 as the as the crow flies, uh, just south of um, Fort Hawk, there's apparently there is a there is a some sort of standing stone uh, made out of a. Uh, a black stone-like material, uh, and apparently, according to what people have told me, it uh, it has the symbol of the judge etched on its surface. Now, d don't let it be said that uh, I don't give you value for money. I've also found out that uh, a day to the east of that, there's apparently a a small settlement by the name of Wakebrook. Now, from what I've heard. Uh, a number of religious types um, 
from a Rohaline, apparently escaping some sort of religious persecution back in your homeland of a have settled there and uh, I, from from what I've heard as well uh, nearby there although I'm not exactly sure where apparently there are there is some sort of ruined ancient structure to, to maybe half a day's travel to the to the northeast of her uh, of this wake brook and I'll put those uh, both on I'll put the stone and wake brook on the map okay Excellent work, Quila. Um, well, I do pride myself on my work. I, I, I know I'm not the, uh, I know I'm not the uh, the cheapest of your many employees, but I like to think I give value for money. Indeed, and I have a new task for you. Um, yes, I thought you might say that. Uh, this ring that we found that you helped us identify, um, it doesn't seem to be working anymore. And. Okay. Um, and I'm wondering if you can investigate what might be wrong with He says, well, I can probably give you the answer to that now, to be honest. Uh, if what I found out about it before is uh, true, there are... I, I, I'm, me, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say you're stupid or anything, but I know you're not magically inclined, so I'm going to try and tamp this down into layman's terms. So, when, when they... When they make certain items, it's very difficult, you see. When you take the magical energies, it's very difficult and it takes quite a lot of skill to permanently put those magical energies in something, in an object. Because you see, magical energy is, well, energy. And a solid object is a solid object. They're two different things. And bringing them together permanently is very, very difficult. So what they often did back in the day and what lesser skilled um, will workers would have done is they would temporarily bind this energy into an item but the problem which is a lot easier to do a lot less uh, expense is required a lot less power is required but the downside is each time the, the item is used a little bit of that energy bleeds off and when it has all bled off as I obviously I don't know 100% without further research, but as I suspect is the case with this ring, I expect if it's been used a number of times and was probably used before you came into possession of it, I expect the the magical energy that remained in it has bled off, and you now effectively just have a, a very pretty but otherwise normal ring. That would be my guess, anyway. Mm, that is quite disappointing because it was a a valuable trinket. Indeed, as I've said, though it's uh, it's rare to find a a permanently enchanted item, since it requires such great skill, and there can be quite a high cost to permanently bind mystical energies into items. Uh, so, whoever back in the day, whoever made your ring, obviously had the power to do that. They probably made it think, oh, it'll be easier if I do it temporarily, and then when it runs out, I can just put some more energy into it it's probably more efficient to do that and just i suppose recharge it if you want to use those terms uh, whenever it ran out uh, unfortunately obviously we we don't have that capability and the magics of old are no longer as prevalent as they once were indeed indeed I, i'm not saying it's impossible to 
to put more energy into it but obviously much as I'm very learned I'm not actually a, a practitioner of the arcane myself indeed well it was it was a useful trinket while it worked and perhaps one day we will come across someone who was um powerful in in these ma with these magics who may be able to all things are possible um, okay well I will leave you to your research um perhaps while you are doing your research I, I, I'll well, well, I, 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 I was gonna say what um, what project did you want me to work on next obviously now I've uh, now I've found you the location of potential ruins and places of interest I can carry on looking for more or I can or I can um, start on another project what what would you have me do I mean you're you're paying me um so I'll give a very brief explanation of the spider oh right I need a better name for um and um I guess we're looking for any information uh about it that can be found and um with a real emphasis on weaknesses or ways to combat it um either proactively in terms of us going after it or defensively in terms of the settlement okay fighting it off should the means there uh, should it become necessary yes uh, i'll um i'll start on that straight away uh it should be a good deal easier now you've uh you've brought this uh this messenger's guild for want of a better term into the folder uh, hopefully i can uh have some of them do a bit of the, the legwork for me yes certainly to everyone's benefit that spread that out i'll get on it straight away i'll get on it straight. and he, he starts waddling off towards uh, the um the building that he lives in cool. um so then i suggest we have our celebration um mm -hmm. and then probably leave like the next day to go and bury gordon and when we come back next we probably have to address the wolf woods a little bit yes uh, the wolves are uh, starting to encroach on the town yeah but i think if we also leave word with cotton if he's not back to build a wall on the western river mm. and leave the money for that then at least the entire village will be surrounded by either water or wall and that will keep walls and stuff out. yeah, yeah and, I'll, and i'll let you know now that um, building a wall over the west bit would cost you a thousand gold all told okay so just assume then that i'll take that out now and yep. just assume that that's something that exactly cotton yeah. can work on while we're gone that's absolutely yeah. fine i'm making that that's in progress uh i would be possible to do gates across the river or something is that a thing that was done historically in medieval villages i'm looking at you uh, having sort of history book I, I don't know about gates across the river mm. i guess we could look into doing some fancier stuff with the bridge down the line but yeah, yeah. But look, the, the western wall will keep the the wolves and yeah. bandits out. After the session, I'll have a look into um, I'll have a look into like river gates and stuff like that. See if I can find anything. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, what's the price for a uh, river gate? John? <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, I'm going to guess that's probably not in the book, but we'll work something out. Like we yeah, we'll, do. yeah. Okay, so I think probably the your sort of celebration is a good place to like end on this evening. Obviously, we're not going to play through the whole celebration. It's all the village getting together. Everyone's quite happy that Quentin's back. Everyone's a little bit concerned about the strange noises and the beasts that are roaming nearby. A bit unsettled because of the wolves, and obviously they've still not got a clergyman. But, you know, a lot of that's put to one side as they're all just having a good time. They're drinking, like, mead, and they're, they're sort of holding a cup up in name of in the honour of her brother Lomas and his uh, predecessor priest. And, you know, everyone's telling stories and stuff like that. So I'm going to ask, and this is just for, like, flavour. We're not going to, like, make any rolls or anything like that. I'm going to ask each of you, as all the villagers are celebrating and all this is going on, obviously the guards are still keeping a watch. It's all still protected and stuff like that. What is one interesting thing or one thing that your character particularly notices or does during this feast and this is just a little bit of flavor there's no real wrong answers unless you're like well brock burns down the village and steps over the bodies of his enemy like a t-800 in which case i'll be like that's probably a bit beyond the bounds of this i know darren wouldn't do that but uh, it's just a bit of flavor give me ideas <laughs> <That's> it, <exactly. laughs> it's just a bit of flavor to help tie your guys characters into the village now you can introduce npcs as long as you're willing to name them who are villagers you can set up relationships with other npcs like you know it might be someone like like quentin might be like oh yeah the the guy so and so was the guy who, like fixed my armor and i was having a drink with him or whatever just like one thing that's happened to you during this this sort of day and night long festival effectively And then once we've, uh, once I've got something off each year, we'll uh, we'll wrap up the the stream, and we'll sort out XP and whatnot. So if you need a few seconds to think, obviously feel free to. Uh, I can go first. Yeah. Um, so I think Malcolm would be um trying to recruit people in the following of the judge um, and um, I think this the guard that he spoke to earlier Anne would be a place that he would start because that was someone who wasn't put off by his kind of walled nature or his his um, the fact that he's different um, okay so so what I know I know we're going to do mad dice rolls but I'm going to ask you can you roll me can you roll me a d3 but there's going to be no, but there's going to be no bad things for this. Basically, you've recruited Am, this, and you've got like D three other villagers. Uh, one. Okay. So basically, after during the feast, you're sort of you're chatting, you're talking up the judge basically, and you sort of, I imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's your character, it's entirely down to you. I imagine you're sort of talking up the fact that like. Oh yeah, you've you've said it's all like a sign from like Leander that like we haven't got a priest, you know. Maybe it's time to like look at an alternative. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like something that I would say. All right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so obviously lots of villagers have heard you talking about this, and it may start spreading and becoming more of a thing. But by the end of the feast, you've definitely got. Anne 
and one of the other like villagers who've sort of pretty much bought into what you're saying and they're like oh yeah you know like Leander was all well and good while we're in Rowaline but you know we're in Valconan now obviously like Leander doesn't seem to be doing his priests much good maybe maybe what Harp's saying about going back to the old gods you know we're in their lands our ancestors used to follow these gods so if it was good enough for them maybe we should think about going that way ourselves so you've got two people who've like bought into like your party line basically and that may spread as the game goes on cool okay anyone else I would have taken the uh, headsman aside okay at one point and um, before he gets too sloshed that is Starting um, right at the start of the feast, then. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> like, Josiah doesn't waste any time. As soon as you're like, oh, he's like, celebrate good times, come on. As soon as I'm there. I, I suppose I'll we'll time it so that he's got his first tanker down. Yeah. I'll bring in the next one and tell him, maybe, you know, join me in the corner here. We'll have a word. And um, it, 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 Yeah, he's, he's more than willing to have a word here. He, he thinks the celebration looks like it's starting off to a great success. He's like, he thanks you for suggesting. He thinks it's a great idea. And he's like, you say he's had his first like tankard of mead down him, so he's a little bit merry, but he's not paralytic. And mm-hmm. he he quite happily comes and sits around like a small wooden table with you. You know, you both got a glass of like like yep. mulled cider or something like that. something warmed mm-hmm. to like keep the cold away. So, uh, with winter coming round. It's going to be hard times. Yes, I'm right. Um, there's, there's been some troubling things going on in the forts to the west. How do you mean troubling? North. I mean, we, we, we've obviously we we heard about uh, Lord Eastburn's death, and uh, yeah. obviously we, we've heard what happened with the refugees from uh, Fort Kersey uh, mm. since they came here. But um, no, that's, what that's, else has that's happened? The thing. That's the thing. Uh, it's there's. Let's say there's a whole lot of displaced people. There's maybe. You probably have your own read on things, but uh, Fort Eastburn harbors some characters to be sure. And with winter coming, there's going to be all kinds of folk moving around looking for a place to take advantage of to put it in rough terms are you saying they might they might attack the village i don't think so no but there might be let's say strong arming of various kinds um maybe not at the start but as the winter goes on you know people run up maybe uh, maybe they want to borrow something from their neighbors. So that's what I'm thinking, if you catch my drift. There's going to yeah, be people hungry, desperate, looking for a place to maybe get help from or maybe take advantage of. and um, Or otherwise just play out their worst selves. I see. So, with this... Um, this in mind, uh, I think we probably need to get some kind of structure going on in New Zealand as far as who calls the shots. 
and I know that we set this whole place up in uh, sort of let's try and not be told what to do by the nobles well, and nice. I don't want to change that necessarily but I like to think I have a handle on the kind of people that might be coming to our door when it comes winter time and the wolves are at their heels, so to speak. Whether that's actual wolves or just hunger. I know what to do. Or at least I know what to say. And probably see us through the worst of it. I like to think so, anyway. So, with all that being said, Can I count on having you in my corner when that happens? Uh, yeah, yes, of course. What I mean is... When it comes to the worst of it... When I say jump, I need everyone to jump here. And I can't have... Um, and I, I'll, I'll say the, the person who went in and shenanigans the wolf carcasses from the forest <laughs> edge... Um, I can't have people like him going off on their own and doing things. Uh, I, I, th I think I understand. Yeah. I'm not saying we need to be, you know, the irregulars. No, you're saying we all need to pull together for the common good. Yeah, we need to pull together and we need to do what is best. And I'm saying I know what's best when we get to the point where we're looking down the the pointed arrow shafts of hungry raiders in the winter. So it's also just a very complicated way of me trying to say, I have some experience with this and I would like you to back me up when I tell people what to do when it gets real bad. He, he leans forward and he like chinks his tankard against yours and then takes a big swig of his uh, mulled drink and he says, uh, yes, you can rely on my, my support, Weimar. Yeah, I'll, I know things are going to get tougher before they get better. Yeah, yeah, and just know that whatever happens, it's it's like me, Malcolm, Brock, Quentin, everyone in the village, hopefully, is working towards the the kind of scenario where we have spring and everyone's still here. Uh, so that's, well, that's I'll, what de I'll definitely drink to that. Yeah, cheers to that. Cheers to spring. Indeed. I'll, to, to the continued health of New Zealand and all, mm -hmm. and all who reside within our walls. Yep. And then, go, go, go. And then I'll get fucking tanked. Yeah, then, then you both can proceed to get wrecked. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that just leaves Brock and uh, Quentin. Yeah, um, I can go next. So, uh, as we know, Brock has obviously been living off the land and moving from group to group Indeed. for sort of many years um so this is this is the first time he feels like he's actually got a bit more purpose and in a place where he feels a bit more at home and so he's decided to sort of really let his hair down for once um okay and it's a completely different side of him that people haven't seen before so he's going to start by sort of getting all the guards and challenge them to arm wrestles and sort of doing silly, silly sort of uh, 
attempts to like take on two guys at once and you know and and just try and uh, get get the the guys you know having a laugh and enjoying themselves and a bit of banter and trying to be one of the boys for once instead of the stern-faced sort of ice walker that he, he comes across as and obviously is um so yeah he's going to try and do a few games like i say arm wrestling and then he'll end the night with some sort of drinking challenge and try and sort of you know drink them all under the table and just really let himself go for a night yeah so i think that the rest of you as you're sort of like mingling around doing whatever you're doing uh, malcolm obviously like talking up the judge why am i like having a, a drink and a quiet word with josiah means you'll obviously hear like the, the sort of roars and like shouts and like laughter and you see sort of like several bits where like people have been circled by the villagers and you can see brock who's like obviously had like a few drinks himself is pretty much he's pretty much like stripped stripped down to his loincloth oiled up to the max he's like having a great old time it starts off you know like they did a bit of arm wrestling they did a bit of normal wrestling but by the end of it it's like people like slapping each other on the back and you know it's all taken in good fun but some of like should we say like the less like physically adept like villagers aren't getting directly involved in like the wrestling but you know they're all like watching it and they're like cheering people on and it's all generally in good fun but by the end of it like most of the people you've been like wrestling everyone's like having a drink and like brock's like oh i bet i can drink a, I bet i can drink this barrel of like mead faster than you guys can and like some of the guards are like challenging him to it and there's plenty of mead flowing there's plenty of wine and cider and all stuff like that and it generally really contributes to the feeling of like community that you guys have been trying to build in new zealand you know like no one's like really taking it seriously oh i got beaten this wrestling match i'm gonna hold a grudge against you it's all just for like good fun it's not like a serious competition and by the end of it everyone's like putting that like furs back on because obviously it's still right cold and everyone's just getting into it very much enjoying themselves the by now certainly in new zealand i mean obviously the few like mccords a lot are there as well who know you anyway brock because you wouldn't sort of rolled with them but by now the villagers have entirely accepted you as part of the village brock you're not getting the like the odd sort of like stares that you used to get because everyone was like oh who's this like eight foot tall like muscle man who's like walking through the village dressed like conan the barbarian whereas now they actually seem to take great comfort in the fact that like oh yeah okay he's like a giant barbarian with like a humongous like spear and a sword however he's like our barbarian with a giant sword and a spear who's like helping protect our village so yeah great so yeah everyone's fully accepted you into the village by now you are seen as a, a full member of like new zealand no one's really like oh yeah we're all like villagers and rowling oh we've got that ice walker guy you're now just seen as like a member of this community effectively and obviously anyone else who wants to get involved in like the oiled wrestling or the drinking competitions you can do so as you see fit josiah means will probably get involved but by that point he's been drinking for like three hours with weimar so he gets about like halfway through like a barrel and he like passes out and he's like he's like lying on the floor with like a big like shit eating grin on his face just like the barrel i think probably the our mercenary cohort are gonna be just throwing in immediately when brock is like oh right bring out the oil <laughs> it's like straight in 
yeah, definitely. Like Bullseye gets involved in it. Obviously, Bjorn's like straight in. You also see like Clarence, who was the guy on the bridge earlier, was like a bit of a bruiser. As soon as you're like, oh, it's like wrestling time, he's just like, let's go. And he like gets him, but he seems to fancy himself as like a bit of a strong man. And he's like, he starts off and he's he's taking it a little bit seriously. You can tell like he's obviously done some like bare knuckle fighting in the past, and he's obviously like used to being violent. And he takes it a bit seriously at first. You know, after it becomes obvious to him like, oh, it's not like a serious competition. We're just having a bit of a tussle and a few drinks and whatever. He seems to relax a little bit, and uh, he actually like very drunkenly like Clarence like slaps you on the back after like a particularly vigorous bout of wrestling Brock and he's like he's like oh well I've got to say I'm a I'm a doubt about this when you you suggested it uh, Brock would no I think that's a great idea if if not if nothing else it at least lets us know like you know if we need if the village needs defending who's going to be the one who's like the ones who are capable of doing it and he generally has a bit of a, bit of a sort, of, sort of drunken, like, bro conversation with you. Yeah, yeah. Nah, no, that's cool. Okay, so, Quentin, what have you done during the festival? Uh, I'm seeking out the sage. Yeah, no problem. I'm going to give him those blue lotus flowers. Okay, so you find Quilak, this diminutive, like, blue skin, like, Orco type from He-Man, if you remember that. And yeah. <laughs> And you hold him, you pass him to him, he looks at him and he's like, oh, I think these are mountain lotus flowers. He says, hey, yes, they're, uh, they're very rare. They only grow in the, the mirrored peaks. Uh, very dangerous area. Apparently there's, there's frost worms and all kinds of nasty things up there. He says, I've... And obviously he's had a few drinks as well by this time. And he's like three foot tall, so it doesn't take a lot. And he, like his hats are like on a bit askew, like when he's talking to you. And he's like, "I hear tell that uh, apparently, if you if you smoke the petals of the uh, the mountain lotus, apparently they can give you visions of the past or the future. At least that's what I hear. That's my understanding as well. He says, obviously, I." I've never tried it myself, but uh, you know, I mean, I suppose worst case scenario, if you if you try it and you and it's not true, at least you've had a pleasant smoke. <laughs> Very true. He says, do, 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 you, "Do you want me to do anything with these?" Or no, I mean, no, it's just for your collection. Oh, that, and it looks genuinely touched. And he, he seems to be like, he's a little bit unsure of how to react. He's normally used to people coming up to him and being like, oh, we need you to like research this, like quick, quick, smart. And you're just like, oh, here's a present for you. And he's like, oh, uh, th thank you. Uh, that, that, that's very kind of you. Uh, I, I'm touched. You're welcome. He says, oh, well, uh, I, I tell you what, uh, obviously not now, because I, I, if I, if I was going to, uh, experiment with these uh, I, I do when I was in a slightly fitter state than I am now and he like straightens his hat up he's like uh, I, I tell you what uh, in a in a day or two's time uh, if you fancied uh, joining me and maybe I think yeah I think we've probably got enough here for a, a couple of pipes worth uh, 
if you fancy giving it a try with me, um, it'd be nice to have some company. You know, I'm a, normally uh, the the life of a researcher is a is a pretty lonely one. And people only really come to you when they when they want stuff, and then it's all about the results and what have you found and whatever. Of course, Oh, splendid, splendid! He says, uh, "Well, uh, if obviously I've uh, I've had a few drinks, so uh, r- remind me in the remind me in the morning when the festival's done, and um, we'll sort out a time, hopefully when there's a, a bit of peace and quiet, and um, we'll sit down and uh, do a little like, do a little experiment and see see if this uh, this mountain lotus is all it's made out to be. Let's go for it. Splendid, anyway." I, I went to come and your top, but but and he like disappears the the lotus flowers into like a little belt pouch. He's like, but again, thank you very much for the gift. It's a, it's very kind of you. And uh, as with, I'm sure you've the other villagers have said now, uh, it it's good to see that you're back safely in a uh, New Zealand. Uh, unfortunately, we've we've lost a good few people. Uh, good people due to the dangers of Valcona. I mean, uh, I've seen a. Uh, Brother Lomas, our old uh, friar, he, he met an unfortunate end and a few of the, the villagers before that. Uh, but um, no, no, thank you. I, I'll let you. I'll let you I, I don't want to get too maudlin. I'll let you get back to the feast. Uh, th- thank you again. He sort of like gives you a nod and he, he waddles off. Okay. And with that, as you all continue feasting late into the night and into the wee small hours of the morning, all of the villagers thoroughly enjoying this feast. And for the first time in a a very long time, there's a slight glimmer, maybe even a, a spark, you might hesitate to say, of optimism about the general populace of New Zealand. You know, the, the thought starts to percolate that even though in a couple of months the really hard winter of Valconan is going to hit, maybe with a bit of hard work, everyone pulling together, everything might be all right. They might make it through the winter to the spring beyond. And perhaps, who knows, a brighter future. And that is where we're going to end the session for today, guys. Thank you very much for playing. I hope you all enjoyed the session. Cool, yeah, thank you very much. Yep. Okay, and I'll stop the stream here. So it just remains for me to thank my wonderful players and to anyone who's watching this either now or in the future. Take care, and hopefully we'll catch you in the next episode. See you in a bit.